Here we go. All right. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Good evening, America. How is everyone doing tonight? I hope you all are well and having a wonderful Thursday afternoon, evening, wherever it is you are in the world or in this great country. Joining us live today here at The Sea Report, I'm your host, Mr. C, and we have got a brand new show for you guys uh, coming to you on this uh, Thursday, December 30th, 2021. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, one whole day left of the year 2021, and then we can bid it adieu, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, ah, you know, we've had some pretty compelling stories over the last few uh, weeks and months of 2021. I kind of wonder how everyone assesses the year of 2021. Uh, are we ready to bid it adieu? Are we done with it? Are we happy it's over? Is it one of those years that you just want to hide away underneath your bed or underneath the floor mat and you just never want to look at again? Uh, or is it, was it a good year for you? I don't know. I, I get, I get, uh, I get mixed reviews from everyone out there, but I think, I think I'm willing to settle on, uh, it seems like for most people, whether they are patriotic Americans or they are sleeping Americans, uh, it seems like a lot of people uh, on both sides of the aisle, both sides of the coin, seem to want to put uh, 2021 to rest six feet under, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I don't know. I, ha I personally have not uh, given myself a uh, one of those annual reviews, you know, uh, for uh, the year. But um, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that. Uh, Maybe I'll look back on 2021 and uh, I'll have a good laugh about it. Learned a lot this year, uh, faced, uh, faced numerous challenges, but uh, I guess we all go through our own things throughout, uh, throughout these cycles around the sun, right? And uh, well, we'll see how that goes. But uh, nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, we are approaching the end of 2021 and uh, we are at the threshold of 2022. So, you know, uh, there's a lot to look forward to, I'd say. And uh, there's a lot of uh, promise uh, for those of us out there who have been towing the line, as it were, um, or have been keeping the faith. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, nevertheless, I hope everyone's having a great night tonight. And uh, we will be doing it live here for the next, uh, I'd say, about two hours or so. We got a pretty jam-packed show for you guys tonight. 
Um, we uh, don't have much by way of all those headlines out there. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of stuff uh, that could be talked about. Um, we really haven't paid too much attention to coronavirus over here at the Sea Report. I'm sure some people have noticed you know, uh, with this whole, uh, these, uh, you know, they have like 30 variants and, uh, everyone who's been vaccinated seems to be sick and dying. And, uh, everyone who's not vaccinated, it seems, of course, are still being persecuted. Um, and I think everyone's, uh, everyone's sense of, uh, logic and reasoning, at least on one side of the coin, uh, seems to be lacking, I think we could all agree on that. You know, the thing about it is, is when we're talking about those individuals out there who are fully vaccinated and uh, are aware of the dangers of these vaccines, uh, because obviously I think uh, I, I, I would like to think that some people out there um, are still aware uh, of some of the things that they hear, whether that's from their mainstream source of news or just, you know, something they hear around the water cooler. I'd like to still think that some people kind of pay attention and it's probably that uh, that voice that's nagging them at the back of their head. Um, could that be the conscience or could that just be uh, fear of looking uh, stupid? <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, but but what we're what I'm seeing and especially in the stories that I hear from various people, uh, you know, uh, um, whether it's, uh, you know, through online or if it's uh, in the neighborhood or amongst family and friends um, or even uh, on the news or on TV, is that um, everyone seems to be aware of the fact that uh, these vaccines are no good for you, right? Uh, these supposed vaccines. Um, and uh, we see that more and more. Uh, with, you know, parents uh, standing up uh, to save their children from the dangers of uh, something that's not been uh, tried and something that's not been tested uh, to be what it is. And aside from that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, how can they not hear the stories about, you know, uh, 100% uh, fully vaccinated cruise ship, uh, you know, cruise ships, who are still breaking out with, uh, you know, uh, COVID-19 or whatever variant it is that's haunting, uh, haunting them uh, tonight, tomorrow, yesterday. And uh, it just makes no sense, you know, but uh, I guess that's, I would chalk that up to an ego thing, personally. Uh, I would think, well, maybe they're just uh, afraid that they put um, all of their uh, heart you know, into uh, one point of view and they just cannot uh, get away from uh, uh, how it makes them look. I mean, it's got to be something like that, don't you think? Uh, because it's so in your face right now. Uh, but yet still we hear the storyline that it is the unvaccinated. And uh, I think more and more also, and I'm sure uh, most of you all would agree out there, particularly if you're following any of the stories with the COVID-19 vaccines um, or gene therapy serums, as some of us like to call them, uh, that uh, the real shadow of um, tyranny is revealing itself, you know, uh, I mean, Realistically, all you got to do is uh, pay attention to what's going on around the world, uh, particularly Australia. You know, um, I think Australia has been a big highlight in the dangers of allowing uh, one's fear and one's trust of government to uh, take over. 
Um, and, uh, you know, we're starting to see it here as well in the States, uh, particularly on the coasts. Uh, I think most specifically in the state of New York, they probably have, and in New York City, uh, Manhattan, uh, you know, uh, in general, uh, they probably have the most stringent, uh, you know, vaccine laws, you know, around. Which was why I guess it was impossible to get thousands of patriots to be standing outside of the uh, trial house, the courthouse, during the Maxine Water, uh, Maxine Waters. <laughs> Whoa, uh, is that a foreshadowing? Is Maxine Waters going to go to trial? Um, I mean, uh, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, uh, which has ended. And then, you know, of course, we were hearing things about, uh, uh, you know, Judge Allison Nathan. And uh, she kind of, you know, scuttling along the, uh, the, um, the jurors there for fear that Omicron was going to come. And then, you know, I've heard other things about that as well uh, in regards to um, Ghislaine Maxwell and her team of lawyers trying to appeal the decision. Uh, maybe, possibly, uh, they could say something, well, the judge rushed the jury and out of fear of COVID, they decided to find her guilty because that was the easiest thing to do. Um, and so, I, I mean, that idea has presented itself. But um, uh, from what I understand that, you know, while that is an argument that a defense could use, um, the judge would have to do something pretty egregious for them to say that uh, they, uh, you know, kind of uh, push the jury in a certain direction, you know, whether that's for or against guilty or innocent. So I don't think that's something that we'll have to worry about. But one thing uh, I can say for sure is that it does seem like uh, the shadow of this trial, nay, the shadow of Jeffrey Epstein uh, will continue to uh, follow us at least for a, sh a time, you know. And and on the heels of that trial, um, I think I find it uh, I find it good to know that uh, one of the issues, if not the main issue that I, I keep seeing as I'm, you know, reviewing uh, stories and headlines, as I'm kind of, you know, scanning through uh, news reports and videos and stuff like that is everyone is asking the question, you know, will justice be served? Uh, to all of those who were buyers for Jeffrey Epstein and uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, will justice be served to all of those whom uh, Ghislaine Maxwell may have uh, procured, groomed, um, and uh, basically uh, exploited and sold, trafficked to, uh, to any of those people who are participating in those crimes. So I guess uh, that remains to be seen. But um, as we uh, talked about yesterday, on yesterday's Searport at the end of the show when we were uh, recapping uh, the Ghislaine Maxwell trial and the verdict uh, with uh, uh, additional trials on the horizon. Uh, one in particular, of course, being the uh, Virginia Ro uh, Roberts Jufri uh, versus uh, Prince Andrew one, which is uh, still set uh, to possibly go to trial. I mean, right now we're looking at a January 4th date for a possible dismissal. If the uh, defense can muster up an argument to do so, and uh, uh, Prince Andrew and his team are definitely at it. You know, I saw an article, I think, in the New York Post that was talking about uh, how they were saying that uh, basically it's out of the jurisdiction uh, because I believe uh, Jufri lives or her residence is in Australia. So they're trying to say that uh, she cannot hold a uh, trial or have a trial held in, uh, you know, New York. Um, and stuff like that. So they're going to try and still pull out all those stops. And of course, they got their case set for dismissal on January 4th. So we'll have to pay attention to that and see how that goes for sure. 
But otherwise, uh, there's no telling what could come out of that. And uh, indeed, we have uh, two minute stories uh, dealing with the Epstein, Andrews, Maxwell, Jufri case that we'll get into uh, as we move along tonight. And then, as promised, we are going to do uh, a bit of a deep dive into uh, what's going on in Wisconsin in regards to election integrity, um, as that is uh, top of the mind and, uh, you know, top of the charts here at the Sea Report. Um, I tell you, I will stay on election integrity and, uh, you know... Um, getting the truth out about the election fraud and the theft of our uh, freedoms and our elections that occurred in 2020, just as tenaciously as I used to be about uh, talking about the Federal Reserve Central Bank and how that is unconstitutional and how it is uh, robbing and stripping Americans um, away from uh, a better way of life, uh, if you think about it. And then, of course, our freedoms tend to go with that as well. Um, if, if it's not just intended to, uh, destroy us, you know, a bit at a time, uh, most definitely. Uh, but that is, that is the, uh, that is the cause I think, uh, since 2020. And that is of course, uh, exposing the election fraud, um, assisting with, uh, disseminating the knowledge and the truth about what happened, reminding everyone and uh and introducing new uh new viewers and uh new listeners to the actual fraud that occurred so just like yesterday when we talked about uh we talked about uh, georgia and uh, we presented hard evidence uh that you one could use to decertify an election should one i mean in my mind be a non-corrupt uh, judiciary non-corrupt legislative you know, um, we'll do so again today with Wisconsin. Uh, we'll look at uh, two main points in Wisconsin in regards to the fraud. But, you know, Wisconsin's a little bit different from Georgia. In fact, I mean, while the same types of fraud occurred in multiple states uh, and, and some types of fraud the, the same type of fraud occurred in all states. Like, uh, can we talk about the uh, illegal ballot drops that were coming in after midnight by the thousands a la Venezuela, right? I mean, that happened in every state. But then, of course, you know, we had those instances of uh, fraud that occurred. Uh, maybe it happened in Georgia, but it didn't happen in New Hampshire. Or maybe it happened in Pennsylvania, but it didn't happen in uh, Texas or something like that, you know? But... For a fact, um, when it comes to Wisconsin, as we'll talk about tonight, um, it's going to be we'll, what, what I think the strategy that uh, the Election Integrity America First representatives, and there are very few in Wisconsin, very few elected officials who are really going after this. Um, and then, of course, any other character that's involved in Wisconsin, uh, they do have a cloud of doubt around their intentions or, you know, what it is that they're going to uh, going to be doing as far as assisting and moving that process along with Wisconsin. I believe the strategy that they are going to go with and that they have to go with. And I'll tell you why, as we get into the Wisconsin story tonight, is that um they're going to have to go not with election fraud, but with breaking election laws. And I think that that will be their way through when it comes to a decertification of 2020. Uh, because what we will be looking at tonight are two instances uh, of 
of where these individuals who were uh, perpetrating the fraud in Wisconsin actually broke their own state and city laws in regards to how they run their elections. So again, um, I think one of the most uh, interesting things, and it might not be interesting some, to some of us out there, but one of the most interesting things is all of the information that I will be sharing with you guys tonight, uh, as you'll see as we get into the reports, they come from, mm, I don't know, May 2021, March 2021, and uh, here we are again, uh, in the spin cycle of the news cycle, <laughs> and uh, they 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 are repeating on us, right? They're repeating on us like a you know a bad a bad lunch or something like that. But you know, as a dog will return to eat its vomit several times, <laughs> sometimes uh, you know it, it, sometimes uh, that's just what you got to do uh, to ensure that uh, that food was really bad. <laughs> Or in this case, to ensure that the fraud was really real and that those points, um, those points remain at the surface, right? And that uh, we have them uh, accessible, uh, not only to individuals who are interested in following these stories, but accessible to people who may have never heard about this, to the doubters who are finally coming around, to those who were asleep that are finally starting to wake up, and uh, they will need that oomph and that push, ladies and gentlemen, of information and knowledge in order to move forward with their development as a free thinking and awake individual. What a thought, right? Anyway, so uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be talking about that in just a little bit. And of course, we have a few live, statement, live statements. We have a few statements from President Trump that we'll kick the show off with tonight. Now, I'd like to thank you for joining us. Uh, we are live again on multiple platforms. Uh, we got you over at Twitch. We got you over at the foxhole.app. We got you over at pill.net, DLive, Trovo, and Clout Hub. So welcome, 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 and thank you for joining us. Uh, if you are over at the foxhole.app and over at pill.net, apologies again for yesterday's show. Uh, I think we uh, got severed about halfway through the show. Uh, we ran a two and a half hours yesterday. So uh, again, my apologies. Uh, but thank you guys so much for tuning in. I see, uh, I see uh, the audience building over there at the foxhole.app and pill.net. Uh, let me hop in real quick and say hello. Well, Anon, how you doing, sir? Thank you so much for your donation of 117 gold pills. It's much appreciated. And uh, let's see who we got here. Plant Patriot. Good evening and a happy new year to you as well. Uh, thank you so much for gifting the ship. Uh, that was very generous of you and your support is most definitely appreciated over here at the Mr. C channel, Mr. C TV. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a happy new year as well, my friend. Sean Joe, good sir. How are you today? And uh, gifting the cookie right off the bat. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you for that. And we also have the Speak Uneasy joining us. How's it going, Mr. The Speak Uneasy? I hope you are well this evening. Good evening to you, sir. All right. And uh, Pilled by the Rabbit is joining us as well. Good evening, Pilled by the Rabbit. Good to have you along with us. And we got another cookie from Railanon. Thank you so much. And uh, another cookie. <laughs> hey, the, the audience is kind of like cookies and, and shades. And what are you and ships? What you talking about? Well, you would have to head on over to uh, the foxhole.app and pill.net if you want to know what we're talking about. 
if you're familiar with DLive, y'all know what it is. Uh, of course, uh, the friends over at the uh, Foxhole and Pilled know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but we always explain it for those who are uh, offline at the podcast or on other uh, other um, other platforms. Uh, so let me just say, uh, uh, it's it's a similar it's a similar way to uh, a D Live where you uh, and I guess Twitch too, where you, you you know you have bits and you have fruits and you have all these things. It's it's just a way to support um, the shows and the live streams uh, that uh, you know viewers and audience members uh, enjoy, and a way a way of showing appreciation. It is much appreciated. Uh, so thank you so much for that. And now the kicker is uh, <laughs> the kicker is that all of the uh, all of the, um, I guess all of the, uh, how would you say all of the, uh, donation increments uh, are represented, uh, by items that you would see in the movie, the matrix, which I think is kind of cool. Um, however, I will say, uh, the latest installment of the matrix was utterly terrible and I would not recommend it to anybody. All right. Okay. So moving along from that, uh, WC Cranop, good afternoon or good evening. Well, it is kind of about afternoon in your neck of the woods, right? So, well, it's the evening time. We're on a little bit later tonight than we were yesterday. And I tell you guys, as I get back into my groove, we'll probably get these shows going back earlier, uh, you know, um, to a more, uh, well, I mean, 8, 8.30 isn't, uh, is not an indecent hour, but uh, it is, uh, it is still late, a little late. Uh, but thank you for donating the uh, 117 gold pills. Uh, Mr. C, he says, man, I see swamp creatures above your right shoulder. Oh, yes, sir, you do. And uh, we'll have one or two swamp creatures uh, in the mix tonight. So uh, I hope you're not having dinner, sir. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we got we got at least two that I want to feature tonight uh, and, and kind of give you a face to a name because uh, you, you, we're going to be hearing these names a lot, one in particular, as we move forward uh, in regards to Wisconsin. We got the Texan in the house. Good evening, Texan. He says, K-Pasta Ragu. <laughs> oh, man, I haven't, had a, I haven't had pasta in a minute. Man, you're going to start getting me to carve, uh, uh, was it, um, <laughs> crave carbs. Can't talk right now. I was going to say carve crabes. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little backwards in the mouth at the moment. Uh, but awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for stopping in, uh, the Texan. It's good to see you again, sir. And uh, let's see here. Uh, Zahia says, Texas weather forecast, chilly today and hot tamale. Hey, bro, I like that one. <laughs> uh, a, you know, it's it's also good to have some, uh, some chili with that hot tamale. Uh, <laughs> sometimes. Val Hall is in the show. Good evening, Val Hall. How y'all doing tonight? Uh, I don't think I've seen you in the chat room before, but thanks for joining us tonight and, uh, a welcome, welcome in railing on with the cookie or two, as well as the Texan and railing on that. You're going to start a cookie bidding war, uh, filling up my cookie jar. And, uh, those, uh, cookies, uh, for those of you off the platform, that's a hundred gold pills guys. So, uh, I appreciate that very much shown WC Cranop also thrown in a cookie and railing on and Sean Joe and Sean Joe not to be outdone and the speak and easy getting into the mix guys. Thank you so much for your support and your donations. Um, they, they go a long way to keep the lights on here. We're at the end of the month guys. And so all of my Wi-Fi is just about eaten up. I think we'll be better next month. Uh, because I won't be, uh, I won't be dying in bed with nothing to do, but have, you know, the TV running, uh, which eats up all of the data, of course, the Wi-Fi. So that's, that's what that's all about. Um, that's what that is all about. 
All right, you got some time, WC Crane Op. Oh, wait, no, you don't. <laughs> you got a little bit of time. Uh, the more disgusting uh, swamp creatures will be coming up a little later in the show. So uh, digest well, my friend. All right, guys, um, thanks again for being in. And uh, in case I don't see you tomorrow, Happy New Year. Uh, but I'm sure we'll see you, we'll see you tomorrow uh, here. And, you know, my favorite joke at the end of the year, or towards the end of the year, is, is like, uh, you know, say you got an appointment, you know, uh, I don't know, the, the week after the new year. And I always like to say, I'll see you next year. And they kind of look at you a little funny. Uh, the joke's cotton on since then. But anyways, it's one of those corny jokes, right? But uh, let's see here. Tonight, um, for tonight's show, we will have stories presented to you that come from these sources. Courthouse News Service, Wisconsin State Journal, One American News Network, The Washington Compost, bleh, um, Wisconsin Public Radio, Under, Uncover DC, The Daily Signal, uh, The McIver Institute, The Amistad Project, The Daily Mail, and The Daily Caller. So that's where we got all of our stories coming from this evening, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just to give you um, a heads up on where some of our sources are rising, because like I usually say, I don't come up with this stuff on my own. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and start off as per the huge with our statements from President Trump. Let's see what the boss has to say for us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, hot, uh, hot off the presses for December 30th, uh, President Trump. Oh, here's something exciting. Uh, President Trump will be holding a rally in Arizona. All right. Uh, it's been a minute since we've had a, a Trump rally, guys. So uh, let's see what it's got to say. President Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America, will hold a rally in Florence, Arizona on Saturday, January 15th, 2022 at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, and it says here the details, uh, venue, County Thunder Festival Grounds, that is in Florence, Arizona. Uh, start time is 7 p.m. Okay. And I'm sure if they have other speakers at this event, uh, they'll give us a, a clearer uh, lineup of uh, what will be going on. Usually when they have things like this with the, the fairgrounds open like around 2 p.m. And then, you know, they get the show kicked off, I don't know, around 3, 4, 5. And then the boss usually goes on around that time, 7 p.m., uh, not sharply all the time, but he does indeed. So, uh, I guess you guys know what we'll be doing here at the C report at the Mr. C channels, Mr. C TV on Saturday, um, January 15th. It's been a minute since we've had a, uh, a Trump viewing rally or a Trump rally watch party. Yeah, that's what we called it. A watch party with the friends. It's always a good time. Um, always something interesting to, to hear, right? Uh, whether we want to hear it or not, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but uh, um, I'm sure it'll be uh, well worth the watch. And of course, you guys know I'm talking about the uh, vaccine talk there whenever I say that. But uh, we're not going to get into that tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but, you know, perhaps uh, at another time, uh, we can all, uh, you know, circle around the fire and uh, kind of say our piece about how we feel about President Trump seemingly pushing vaccines, particularly this uh, COVID-19 vaccine, uh, you know, gene therapy serum, right? Okay, uh, let's see what we got next from President Trump by way of statement. This one is from the 29th. 
And it says, uh, the unselect committee of radical left Democrats and two failed Republicans has just dropped a large portion of their request for my records and documents. A very big story, even though the New York Times refused to put it on the front page. The reason that they dropped the records request is that they don't want this horror show to happen to Biden and Hunter in three years. This also changes the entire complexion of their request. Not that there are any documents that would be incriminating or a problem for me, but the witch hunt continues. All right. So uh, that's a little bit of good information there, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Because uh, we all know that uh, th this uh, unselect committee, this entire 9-11 style commission on uh, the false flag that occurred on January 6th is another total sham of a hearing, another waste of uh, taxpayer money, all in the name of uh, trying to prevent this man from running again for office. Well, you know what I like to say, uh, he never uh, he never conceded, you know, um, this optical loss. It's an optical illusion that the man lost the uh, the elections in 2020, uh, but it is a bona fide fact that is becoming truth in the eyes of many, not just few, uh, in regards to the fraud that occurred and what really happened. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think more and more, again, as we move along, uh, it's like tonight's stories on Wisconsin, y'all. I mean, this is third or fourth time through the news cycle that some of these stories are approaching, but they are finally getting the traction. They are finally starting to stick, you know? Um, and uh, I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's taken a lot of time. It's taken a lot of patience. It's taken a lot of hard work. And it's taken a lot of faith, you know, uh, for it to get here. But, you know, the thing about it is I, I find most um, com comforting. I don't know if that's the right word to say, is that, again, when we're talking about, um, you know, uh, politics as usual from back in the day. OK, let, let's go uh, politics as usual from 215, 2015, all the way back to God knows when. Right. Um I really believe that, you know, their, their political advisors and their fixers and their handlers thought that the American people were going to forget about this in like three months. They're probably like, oh, they've got the uh, memory of goldfish. They've got the attention span of a fruit fly. Uh, the Americans are going to, they're just going to drop it. You know, there's not enough people out there that were paying attention. There's not enough people who saw, uh, you know, the election fraud occur that night, you know, with all of the, uh, the, uh, the, the counting that stopped and the, the calling of the state, certain states early. And then, of course, the ballot dropped. And, of course, uh, Trump winning at 10 p.m. and Trump losing the next day when we woke up. I mean, all of that was untoward. And these guys did a very, very sloppy job at, at not only covering their tracks, you know, they, they did a terrible job at um, execution, Right. And all of that, all of that uh, um, null and void kind of work that they did is really coming back to bite them um, because uh, because of their lack of execution, because of how cartoonish and how uh, almost obnoxiously obvious that, uh, you know, these people did their did this job, you know, um, Everything was evident and everything was obvious. The, the only thing that it has taken is time for it to move through a judicial process 
um, or an investigative process. And that's where we see most of uh, the, the fraud coming out right now. Now, like I've said before, um, you know, the Trump legal team most definitely laid down the groundwork um, with the assist, let's not forget, with the assist of hundreds of affidavits um, from hundreds of American citizens uh, around the country who turned in affidavits. I know it was specifically going to be in like six states, right? The ones that they had the hearings in back in December. Uh, but we've had sworn affidavits come in to other states as well with people talking about what they witnessed that night. And then since then, under other findings that have been had, right? And again, these affidavits are under penalty of perjury. And I don't think hundreds of Americans suddenly decided uh, that they wanted to risk, you know, um, uh, some kind of uh, fine or penalty, you know, just to lie about all of this uh, stuff to support President Trump. It just doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense that you'd have hundreds of people with similar stories in different states and different cities independent of each other turning in falsified documents to the court and to, uh, you know, the local state government legislative branches in order to try and overturn an election. Now, these were genuinely disenfranchised Americans, just as we all are, because all of us lost in 2016. We all lost our freedom. You know, we, we are free on paper, ladies and gentlemen. We are free because they haven't quite ripped up that constitution yet. We are free because they haven't gutted all of our Bill of Rights yet. But that is what they've been working on, as we well know, for decades, right? And, uh, you know, they get closer and closer to it um, as we move along. However, of course, as we know now, as the story presents itself, there was a big old block in the road around 2016. And uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, was uh, the will of the American people turning out so hard, we actually got a genuinely elected individual that beat all of their games, that beat all of their algorithms, that beat all of the fraud that they'd been using. Uh, and particularly since uh, the voting machines had been introduced in the early 2000s, um, uh, these people, again, didn't know, did, they did not know what hit them uh, in regards to the globalist filth, the swamp creatures, the deep state. They did not know what hit them in 2016, and that slowed down everything for them. And, uh, you know, and that's why now, as opposed to really trying to take our rights away, uh, you know, they, they have to gut, you know, uh, America again first. You know, just like that path that Obama had taken us on of, you know, uh, taking out manufacturing, uh, destroying jobs, uh, making us energy dependent and reliant on other countries, trying to get us to, uh, to go green so that this way we could save the planet. But at the same time, uh, you know, take away everything that we, that, that we had built to make this country uh, um, great, you know. Yeah, well, they had to do that first again. They had to do that again when they got this joke of a president, illegitimate Joe, in office, right? Because, uh, well, let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, President Trump brought back jobs. President Trump brought back manufacturing. He gave us a cushion so that if anything happened, uh, you know, at least there would be that kind of a break in the fall for us. 
because there's no telling what else could have gone on in that meantime. Um, but, you know, with, uh, with, uh, with them doing that, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, how they use this uh, fake pandemic, right? This fake pandemic from a genuinely manufactured uh, disease called the flu, right? And uh, they use that in order to uh, instill fear in Americans and people around the world, uh, and in order to also um, um, subvert, co-opt, and steal the elections. And now what we're seeing in regards to uh, this whole Corona-19, Coronavirus-19 fear is they, they may well be possibly using it now to strip us of our liberties, which is exactly what we're hearing now, particularly if you're listening to some of the talking heads on the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media, you know, uh, they're saying, uh, you know, when it, co- when it comes to public safety, uh, liberty takes a second seat. I don't think so, sir. Okay. Uh, no one can take any amount of liberty from us. And, you know, it is just uh, an anathema to me. It's an anathema to me that they could actually say that uh, because I am a public danger to anyone because I have chosen not to be vaccinated, that I have no rights. Yeah, that does not rub me the right way. And I'm pretty sure it rubs you guys the wrong way as well. Or you wouldn't be here in the audience. But uh, if you're brand new to the show, uh, well, yep. Uh, get ready, sirs, because uh, we don't talk about COVID-19 too much around here. I mean, yeah, there's enough coverage. And, you know, the sham behind this entire pandemic is also becoming as obvious as what's going on with the fraud, right? Um, so interesting enough. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what uh, President Trump has to say in his next statement. This will be our final statement from President Trump. And guess what? It just so happens to be on the topic of one genuinely manufactured disease, uh, coronavirus 19. Let's see what he's got to say. It says more cases of COVID-19, sometimes referred to as the China virus, are recorded in the United States today than ever before. (laughs) Not even close. And the fake news media refuses to print the real numbers. Do you remember when the Democrats campaign was based on the fact that they would quickly and easily get rid of the China virus? Their whole campaign was a lie from religion to the border, to the military, to the economy, to inflation, to the loss of energy independence, and of course, most embarrassing of all, to the inept, gross, incompetent withdrawal from Afghanistan. All of those things together with the rigged 2020 presidential election are the real big lie. Read it and weep members of Sleeping America, um, bold statements from a bold man sharing a bold truth, right? And, uh, oh, I mean, that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, when, you're, you're, when you're going against that grain, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, uh, that, that is a uh, state of courage, right? Uh, because everyone else is so dressed up in that fear porn factory Uh, that keeps them quivering in the night, ladies and gentlemen, and, uh, you know, keeps them pushing uh, these deadly and also um, untested um, supposed vaccines uh, into our arms. And uh, 
persecution, right? Uh, we always knew that they would use, uh, they would use, uh, mom and dad and Joe America, uh, in order to, uh, push their agenda. Uh, they just need to get that fear instilled in their hearts. So, uh, before we get into the rest of tonight's report, cause, uh, I'm, I'm going to go and throw, a I'm going to go ahead and throw a swamp creature on the screen for you. Uh, all right. Go ahead and uh, go ahead and absorb that. Why don't you? Uh, let me jump back into the chat real quick. I've seen a lot of activity, uh, particularly with some golden boxes. I just want to thank you guys again. Goodness, I don't know where I left off, but we have a cookie storm coming in over at the sea report. Looks like it's going to be a little bit heavier than the snowstorms happening over out west right now. <laughs> Thank you again, friends, for your donations. WC Cranop with the cookie, Railanon with the cookie, Shanjo with the cookie, two cookies. All right, and uh, what else do we got going on here? Ah, WC Cranop, thank you so much for gifting that can. I see a cookie, Razia can. Railanon tossing that can as well. WC Railanon, WC with a can. WC's raising it to shit. Thank you so much, y'all. I really do appreciate those donations coming in. And uh, let's see, Railanon, 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 Railanon. Four times the cookie, a phone. <laughs> Thank you so much, WC, and the cookie again, and and more cookies to come. Uh, all, all right. Thank you so much. Uh, so I, I, we might be uh, going beyond filling the cookie jar over here at uh, the Sea Report. Now we're uh, now we're uh, uh, taking care of my diabetes. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'll take those cookies as long as they're gluten free. Uh huh. Yeah, right. I wouldn't touch it. Oh, but thank you so much again. Uh, glad you guys are hanging out tonight. And, uh, oh, hey, Khaleesi2020, welcome into the show, says 2016 was amazing. 2016 was indeed amazing. I have to say, uh, it's the first time I've ever experienced, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's the first time a lot of us had experienced uh, the thrill of not only having someone that we voted for actually win an election, but knowing that it was someone who was not associated with the DC swamp and the globalist elite, someone who was not part of the club. I tell you guys, it was, it was pretty weird for me at first, you know, having been anti-establishment uh, since I woke up, right? And then uh, to be on the other side of the coin and be like, whoa, you know, like, did I used to look like Antifa like that? Nah, none of us, I think, were that disgusting. Uh, but uh, indeed, it, it was it was a, a very memorable time. A very memorable time. Um, WC Cranop gifting the ship. Thank you so much. That's very generous. I appreciate you, sir. This one is for us both, Relanon. Much love. And Sean Joan Relanon with some cookies again. People are psycho, indeed. You know, um, I don't know how you want to say it. psycho, feeble-minded, weak-minded, you know, weak-willed, um, just... Uh, Asleep zombie? I, I don't know. I don't know, Khaleesi, but uh, indeed, uh, just the more one looks around, if, if one bothers to, right? Uh, because I'm pretty sure even amongst friends and family who are vaccinated and who are, you know, uh, who were uh, stuck in that, uh, that quadrant of fear whenever all of this was rolling out, I'm sure by now that they probably realized somewhere inside or maybe just quietly amongst them, uh, that they may have made a mistake, uh, but now they've uh, basically they've bought into it. And, uh, you know, I guess I guess kudos to them, uh, you know, for sticking with it. But at what expense? Right. At what expense? 
Persnick, good evening and thank you for getting the can. Happy New Year's um, to you, Persnick, as well. All right, guys, uh, let's get into these stories real quick. I got uh, I got three short stories before we go into um, the Wisconsin, um, the Wisconsin report. We'll call that uh, call it that tonight. Um, And of course, as I mentioned, um, the shadow of Jeffrey Epstein, um, even though he he supposedly six feet under. Now, I'm not going to sit here and uh, give an opinion or even speculate about what's going on with Mr. Jeffrey Epstein, you know, because uh, we hear several sides of the story. And, uh, you know, over uh, over that time that I was off recently while I was healing and stuff, uh, you know, my mind was getting pretty, like, you know, twisted. Like, I'm hearing so many different reports, you know, uh, and uh, coming from various sources, right? Um, I just, I just have, the only thing I could do is sit back and say, well, if you think about it, we already know that the mainstream, lamestream, shamestream, fake news legacy media, we already know that is totally compromised. It's propaganda. We already know that they are definitely pushing a narrative. But when it comes to the independence and the patriot community and, you know, what what in there is it that we are being allowed to know? And and what in there is it uh, is is 100% trustworthy. But, you know, I guess that's why they always say trust no one, but trust your gut, you know, trust no one, but trust yourself first, you know, and uh, just uh, do one's do one's just and uh, full diligence, right, in, in um, you know, doing one's own research and kind of investigating as one has the time to do it. You know, I have time to put these reports together. So, you know, that's a, that's a, a plus for me. Uh, but the cooperation of the stories between the independents is where I can really say, yes, we can kind of run with this or we can kind of share this without having some kind of doubt. Uh, but I could not share uh, Jeffrey Epstein is alive and uh, Jeffrey Epstein did not commit suicide. And uh, perhaps he was, you know, uh, he was uh, rescued, right, uh, for future use by the White Hats or anything. I, I mean, I couldn't do that because I don't know. You know, I really have no idea. I I do know, as we all do know, that uh, the story of what happened with Epstein and his supposed suicide does not add up, right? I mean, if he wasn't, uh, if he wasn't uh, suicided, right, uh, or saved from uh, the jail, so this way he could, uh, you know, help cut a deal at a later date, you know, he was definitely murdered, right? Uh, but we all know the suicide story doesn't add up. I'm, I think I'm willing to say, yeah, I can, I can, I can rest easy on that thought. The suicide story does not add up whatsoever. You know, we know that his brother had done, uh, had hired an independent uh, coroner. Uh, we know that the report showed that his injuries were not on par with, uh, with uh, self strangulation or, or uh, hanging oneself uh, from a, uh, from a, a toilet paper blanket, right? <laughs> from a paper towel blanket, you know, from, uh, from the top of a, f- a four foot bunk. Yeah, this, uh, just the damage that was done to him in the, the autopsy didn't show reflective of that, um, at least in, in any type of uh, coroner's history, right? Like they, 
they couldn't really compare that case to anything else because nothing else added up to it. Um, and then, of course, as we'll uh, see in the next story, uh, there's also the case of the missing footage uh, from uh, from the uh, the jail where he was being kept. And then there's also uh, what was going on with those guards. But first, ladies and gentlemen, before we jump into that, um, let's talk about uh, Epstein and uh, well, we got Epstein and we got Virginia Roberts Jufree, you know, on the screen here. As the shadow of Epstein continues, uh, you know, to uh, cast its shade um, on uh, all of all of us, basically, you know, uh, we still have two trials coming up, of course. Well, one is not a trial yet. Right. It's going to be a hearing for a possible dismissal. And this is on the side of Prince Andrew. Right. And his legal team trying to get all of that. Uh, done away with, okay? And then, of course, we have the next Ghislaine Maxwell trial coming up, which has to do with her perjury charges. Uh, Now, based on those perjury charges, I don't know where they could go with with, um, uh, moving forward to bringing justice to the rest of those who were involved uh, to all of those who were complicit, to all of those who were um, uh, who were uh, also um, um, who are also guilty, you know, of of sex trafficking and buying and stuff like that. Uh, but for me, at least, some of that hope holds out in the Virginia Roberts, uh, Jufree, and Prince Andrew trial. So again, January fourth is the date of that hearing for the uh, Andrews Andrews defense team, right, to go before uh, the judge and plea their case for dismissal. So that's going to be key, ladies and gentlemen. That is going to be key. Uh, but what's going on right now, as we see, because just as we saw in the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, we had Judge Nathan Alice, I mean, Allison Nathan, sorry. We had Judge Allison Nathan sealing a bunch of documents uh, that had to do with Epstein and uh, th- those who uh, were procured for. Um, so right now, as the question is presented, on most of the news outlets who are covering the story is will justice come to those who were also involved in this heinous crime and this um this heinous crime against humanity and children right because that is that is what we need to see at this point right we don't need to rest our laurels on a guilty verdict for the the seller right we need to get down to the buyers as well. I mean, it's not like she was peddling drugs, you know, and they'll go after the person who was selling the drugs. You'll never see them go after the buyers unless, of course, they were caught in the act, right? Like they're there, they were there at the time actually doing the purchase. That's not the kind of case this is, guys. We're not talking about someone who's just buying street drugs. We're talking about people who were violating, who were who were dehumanizing other other humans, other people, right? And specifically in some cases, children, okay? So there needs to be a whole lot more done about this case than just a guilty verdict from, uh, you know, for Ghislaine Maxwell, right? In lieu of Jeffrey Epstein, we have Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, We want more. We want total justice in this regard, that is the question. So we had uh, Judge uh, Allison Nathan sealing documents that had to do with Epstein and the names and all of that stuff and, and those who are involved. Of course, right there, that smells like a cover-up, right? And uh, we know that the defense and the prosecutor team, uh, prosecution, they 
all agreed not to do any name dropping and not to involve any of that stuff. And I'm sure, you know, uh, I don't really want to give the prosecutor's team the benefit of the doubt, only because I don't trust some of the players in that team, right? Um, But, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they thought that would have complicated their case. And that is the reason why they chose not to. Uh, And of course, the defense wouldn't want to bring that up because that would just complicate their case even more. And uh, Judge Allison Nathan, and this is speculation on my part on these statements here, maybe Judge Allison Nathan was like, you know, well, if we add in all of these names, uh, we'll be here well into February. And there's Omicron going on, you know, and we got to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm out of here in time, you know, uh, to take my my judge, my, my seat as the uh, second circuit judge or whatever it was that she had that hearing for. So indeed, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we have at this moment. But what we did have happen um, is we had two judges actually um, motion to release some of, uh, uh, well, a very important document, actually, uh, the settlement agreement between uh, Victoria Rob- uh, Virginia Roberts, Jeffrey, pardon me, and Jeffrey Epstein from her court case uh, back in, I think it was 2016. Let me go ahead and pull up an article for you guys. Uh, it's 2009. Pardon me. Uh, this article is coming from the Daily Mail. Let me go ahead and expand that for you guys so you're not looking at a whole bunch of advertisements. And uh, let me go ahead and pull that up real quick. All right, let's see what she's got to say. Just a moment. The C Report is 100% listener supported. If you enjoy the broadcasting that we bring to you with The Sea Report and other shows on this podcasting platform, we ask that listeners lend their support. Become a monthly donor when you go to anchor.fm slash the sea report slash support or click on the support button over there at the anchor.fm slash the sea report website where you can help sustain future episodes of The Sea Report and other broadcasting on this podcast station. Every bit helps, ladies and gentlemen. And as always, I thank you for your support. All right, so uh, we got from the Daily Mail uh, headline... Uh, pedophile Jeffrey Epstein's 2009 settlement with sex slave uh, Virginia Jufree, which could directly impact Prince Andrew's New York case, will be made public on Monday, judges rule. So that's interesting. So uh, Monday will be the third, right? And then uh, Prince Andrew will have his hearing on the fourth. So uh, one day after the release of this document... Prince Andrew's legal team will be pleading his case for dismissal. Mm, The timing on this, right? Let's see what the article has to say. It says here, U.S. District Judges Lewis Kaplan and Loretta Preska ordered agreements release. Kaplan oversees Virginia Jufri's lawsuit accusing the Duke of sexual abuse. And Preska oversees Jufri's lawsuit accusing uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz of defaming her. The Duke of York has consistently and vehemently denied Jufri's claim. 
Okay, it says a 2009 settlement agreement between Jeffrey Epstein and Virginia Giuffre, uh, which could directly impact her civil lawsuit accusing Prince Andrew of sexual abuse, will be made public on Monday. In a joint order on Wednesday, U.S. District Judges Lewis Kaplan and Loretta Preska in Manhattan ordered the agreement's release on or around January 3rd, 2022, finding no reason to keep it under seal. Kaplan oversees Jufri's lawsuit accusing Andrew of abusing her at two of Epstein's homes and forcing her to have sex more than two decades ago when she was under 18 at the London home of Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, the Duke of York has consistently and vehemently denied Jufri's claims. Preska oversees Jufri's lawsuit accusing Harvard Law School professor uh, Alan Dershowitz of defaming her when he denied her claim that he was among the men Epstein compelled her to have sex with. It comes as former Epstein associate Maxwell is found guilty by U.S. jury of helping the financier sexually abuse teenage girls. Let's see here. And uh, I think there's a little bit more in this article. Yeah, the prince's lawyer, and we're right here, um, Andrew Brettler, has contended that the 2009 settlement with Epstein's, Epstein released the Duke of York from liability from Jufri's lawsuit because it covered royalty. And Epstein insisted it cover anyone Jufri might sue. Uh, Jufri's lawyer, David Boyes, countered that the settlement applied at most to people involved in underlying litigation in Florida, where Epstein had a home, and that Prince Andrew should not use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card. How interesting. Andrew has not been charged with crimes. Jufri's civil lawsuit seeks unspecified damages. Kaplan is scheduled on January 4th, 2022 to hear oral arguments on whether to dismiss Jufri's lawsuit against Andrew. In a filing on Tuesday, Brettler called for the case to be halted or thrown out because Jufri has long lived in Australia, depriving Manhattan court of jurisdiction and cannot support her claim that she is a Colorado resident. Uh, Sigrid McCauley, Another lawyer for Jufri, in a statement called that argument another in a series of tired attempts by Prince Andrew to duck and dodge the legal merits of the serious case Virginia Jufri has brought. And then they just have some photos of everyone involved. All right. Okay. And then the rest of the article uh, recaps what happened with... Um, uh, um, Ghislaine Maxwell uh, and her the verdict against her. And so uh, there is that, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, make sure we're not missing out on it for everything else. Yeah, everything else we know about uh, all of the allegations and why uh, Ghislaine Maxwell was found guilty. Okay, so that's quite it was quite a time, right? Quite a day, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, one for the books, right? One for the books. But we got to see where else this is going to go. Because like I said, ladies and gentlemen, um, justice must be served. What did I do? We're not doing a program overview. Okay, here we go. All right. We want justice served. Okay. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. A next story in regards to the shadow of Epstein, Right? Isn't it amazing how when some people die, they just don't go away? 
Um, here's a story also in regards to uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Now, this has to do with the prison guards, ladies and gentlemen, those who were uh, assigned to be on suicide watch for Jeffrey Epstein to ensure that the man who was said to not be suicidal did not commit suicide. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, let's see what's going on. It appears that the case against these guards has been dismissed. Okay. So this is actually uh, pricking the ears of many people um, who are uh, wondering why it would be that uh, they would not be held accountable for not doing their job. I mean, here you had probably the most important um, um, criminal in history uh, locked up behind bars, and yet uh, they were not—they uh, were not performing their duties as assigned. And now it seems uh, that they have had these uh, charges dismissed, albeit quietly, but dismissed nonetheless. Uh, let's take a look at the Daily Caller for this one. All right. Headline, charges against Jeffrey Epstein's jail guards dropped during Ghislaine Maxwell's trial. Ah, you see, another bait and switch, right? Another bait and switch. And they're like, uh, don't watch this hand, watch the other one. Don't watch this justice get served as uh, this other justice walks out the back door, Okay. Um, let's see what the article has to say. It says, uh, as the world watched, I don't know who that guy is, as the world watched the Ghislaine Maxwell trial unfold, federal, pro oh, sorry, guys, let me expand that. For you. you don't want to see me reading it. Here we go. Uh, federal prosecutors dropped the charges against the two jail guards who were accused of falling asleep on the job and falsifying jail records when Epstein allegedly killed himself. You see, now there's the kicker, you know, uh, they falsified documents and a very important uh, uh, criminal um, was suicided, right? I mean, that's where we stand right now in that regard, right? I mean, I don't, I mean, we all, none of us here believe that he committed suicide. I know that for a fact. Uh, but um, anyways, let's see what the rest of this article has to say. I mean, they falsified documents. I mean, when you have someone falsifying documents, that to me says that there's some kind of intent there. Now, I, you know, I, I know that's not provable, but why would someone lie about documents? It'd be like hundreds of people turning in falsified affidavits about what they witnessed during the 2020 election. Why would someone do that, you know, um, unless there was something else going on, right? Now, we know that in the case of the elections, it, there was nothing else going on other than people being really PO'd uh, and really, uh, really angered, you know, about um, about how the elections were stolen. But in regards to these two prosecutors, I mean, prosecutors, these two, uh, these two uh, jail guards, um, wasn't there a story also about them receiving like money and boats and, you know, they were shopping and, and suddenly they got a lot, they were buying motorcycles and stuff like that. Like, uh, why is there no follow up on that? You know, so good questions to ask um, as this smells like it could be part of a cover up. Um, but to what extent, right? Uh, and, and to what avenue of what has happened it says here, uh, prosecutor sent a Nolo Prosecchi, and I apologize, I don't speak Latin, so I probably pronounced that wrong, uh, to the judge on December 13th. 
stating they wanted to drop the charges against guards Tova Noel and Michael Thomas. Um, the Nole Persecchi said both guards had completed community service and complied with terms of an earlier non-prosecution agreement in which the case would not be brought to trial until after an investigation into Epstein's death with the Justice Department's Office of the Inspector General was complete, according to the report. Charges were filed against the duo back in November of 2019, alleging the pair fell asleep and disregarded their duties while on the job, failing to conduct their checks at the Metropolitan Correctional Center, where Epstein was being held on sex trafficking and sexual abuse charges, according to the insider. The charges also alleged the pair falsified prison records, which both men pleaded guilty to. I swear uh, uh, one looked like a woman. Anyways, okay. Yeah, yeah. no, okay. Anyways, okay. <laughs> all right. I don't need to get distracted. Okay. Um, all right. And then it says here, Epstein was then found dead in his cell on, in his cell on August 10th uh, with the coroner ruling his death a suicide. Here's where it talks about Epstein's brother hired a private coroner. Oops, let me move that back this way. Come on now. There we go. Uh, who said Epstein's death appeared to be more consistent with homicide. Oh, come on. According to the coroner. We're not going to look at that article. I didn't mean to punch it. Uh, but it does say Jeffrey Epstein's brother said body had unexplained injuries on wrist and shoulder. Eh, why not just uh, take a, a gander at it real quick? Uh, Jeffrey Epstein's brother Mark said an autopsy uh, found unexplained injuries on Jeffrey Epstein's uh, wrists and shoulders. Uh, leading him to request that the Justice Department release all of his brother's forensic medical files. Conspiracy theories have swirled around Epstein's death since the apparent suicide in August. Um, the autopsy results determined that he had hung himself, uh, having used bed sheets to create a noose and kneeling forward away from his bed with enough force to break his neck. That just does not add up to me. Mark now claims to have seen injuries to his brother's wrists and shoulders that were not uh, consistent with suicide. Um, those are unexplained. Was he handcuffed and struggled with someone holding his wrists? The mark on his wrists are unexplained, Mark 65 told Fox News. Uh, they're playing games. I've done the appropriate requests with justice twice and have heard nothing. I was told someone is looking into it. The neck injuries found in the autopsy also came under scrutiny as they occur only rarely in hanging cases, Fox News reports, though at least one forensic pathologist, Dr. Cyril Wecht, claims Epstein could have caused them by throwing himself from the top bunk. And again, in a suicide watch cell, they're not going to give you blankets that you could, you know, uh, hurl a rock from. Uh, they're made out of paper tissue or something like that, aren't they? Correct me if I'm wrong, ladies and gentlemen. But anyways, well, we accidentally stumbled on that article, but I think that was value added for sure. And uh, let's see here. Uh, to close out this article on the guards, it says, uh, Noel's lawyer, Jason Foy, said his client is extremely grateful that we were able to convince the government and the court the termination of criminal prosecution through a deferred prosecution agreement, is, although a uh, per, per, deferred prosecution agreement is in the interests of justice in a statement obtained by law and crime. Thomas's lawyer, Montel Figgins, said Thomas is very happy to put this case behind him, according to the report. While prosecutors were dropping charges against the guards, a jury found Maxwell guilty on 
uh, on five of the six counts that were against her. Okay, so there is that, ladies and gentlemen. I swear uh, one of them looks like a woman to me, but I, I, what do I know these days, right? <laughs> uh, what do I know these days, right? All I know is that the majority of Americans, uh, through a survey they find, <clears throat> believe that there are only two genders, right? So uh, we, don't, we don't need to go into that tonight, though. We don't need to go into that tonight. Um, the Speak Uneasy says, uh, Mr. C, they probably performed the duty they were supposed to. Know what I mean? Uh, I would agree with that. Yes, sir, I do know what you mean. Indeed, I do. A pill by the rabbit says, sounds like we need to prosecute the prosecutors, right? Who watches the watchers? Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is the thing about to corrupt a judicial branch or judiciary. That is something you don't want. And unfortunately, or maybe I should say fortunately, we have all uh, realized, recognized, we can uh, document now beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are dealing with a corrupt judiciary uh, to the nines here in this great country as they try and make our country not so great. As they try and destroy it. To what end, ladies and gentlemen? Well, we can take an educated guess. I'm sure about that. All right. Uh, before we jump into Wisconsin, let's talk about Pennsylvania. A real quick story and uh, a victory actually coming out of Pennsylvania uh, this week uh, in regards to election integrity and the fraud that occurred in the 2020 general election. Now, where we last left off, ladies and gentlemen, actually where we last left off with uh, in regard to uh, Pennsylvania uh, was a hearing that they were having over the release of voter information um, from the state to the Senate so that they could do their election review, right? Because uh, uh, Senate pro tempore Corman up there in Pennsylvania doesn't want to call it an audit. It's a review, right? He's trying to distance himself from anything audit as much as possible. And we're actually still waiting back on, uh, on information on that. Uh, where we left off with that the judges said that uh, they needed to present more information to them so they could make their decision on whether or not uh, the Senate and those who are doing this review would receive the voter information, uh, which was being held back uh, because uh, Democrats and other, uh, other um, Democrat voting rights or organizations felt that that would, uh, that would potentially uh, endanger uh, Pennsylvanians' uh, identities, as it could be stolen, uh, by giving that uh, information to the Senate for review, okay? Uh, but where we're talking about the victory in regards to Pennsylvania and election integrity tonight has to do with Dominion voting machines, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that which we need to get rid of, that which we need to expel and exorcise from our, uh, um, our electoral system, our election process, we need to get rid of them. We need to go to hole punchers, ladies and gentlemen. I will say it till I'm blue in the face. Everyone grab your hole puncher, right? And grab your pen, not your pencil and not your Sharpie and head down to, uh, head down to uh, your precinct and punch your vote in, ladies and gentlemen. No hanging chads there. But anyways, 
so the, here's where we pick up with this victory. And this is indeed a victory, ladies and gentlemen. And it is a big old smackdown on the acting Secretary of State or Secretary of the Commonwealth, or as I like to call them here at the Sea Report, Secretary of Snakes. Um, and that would be one acting Secretary of Snake, Veronica de Graffenreid. There she is in the ugly flesh herself. And uh, so what, where, we, where we're picking up with this story, it, it takes us back to the summertime, ladies and gentlemen. It takes us back to July. It takes us back to when good old Senator Mastriano was still in charge of uh, trying to get together an election audit, Arizona style, in the Keystone State. Right. Do you remember those days, ladies and gentlemen? Do you remember those days when Senator Mastriano was fighting for election integrity in the Keystone State before Senate pro tempore Corman lied about him, uh, no longer wanting to take part in the process? Uh, we know that uh, Mastriano was essentially fired. He received no support from Jake Corman, who is basically the lead there for the Senate in uh, Pennsylvania, right? And, uh, and, and now Corman is, is uh, in charge of all of this. But back in the day, back in July of 2021, when Mastriano was heading up this effort to audit the state of Pennsylvania's 2020 election, uh, he had sent out uh, notices to all of the counties letting them know that they were going to be requesting uh, information uh, uh, to audit the uh, machines in Pennsylvania. He specifically had sent one out to Fulton County, correct? And uh, Fulton County, which is, I believe, one of, if not the largest county in Pennsylvania proper, um, um, they were going to turn over their machines, right? Uh, the Dominion voting machines, okay? Then we had this snake in the grass here, Veronica de Graffenreid, just an acting Secretary of State for Pennsylvania. She sent out notices to all of the counties saying, hey, if you hand over your voting machines and any equipment to the Senate or any third party, I will decertify them, okay? And then you, dear county, will have to, uh, have to pay for your own brand new voting machines and voting equipment. From your own budget, you'll receive no help from the state. And as it happens, she actually decertified the machines in Fulton County, okay? This woman, who is not helping herself get approved by the Senate to be permanent in her position, went ahead and, you know, she uh, hefted up her britches there and she decided to go ahead and actually decertify Fulton County's machines, you know? And so um, that was a big deal there. I mean, obviously, it's a big deal. I mean, uh, who does she think she is, right? That she can actually tell a county um, that they cannot audit their machines or even or even assist in an audit of those uh that equipment right well it seems since then they have been in court they've been in trial in order to figure out whether or not Veronica de Graffenreid and Governor Wolf over there had the authority the jurisdiction to um penalize a county for such activity well, as it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, the courts ruled in the favor of the counties, okay? Now, we have this from the Amistad Project, and uh, it's a very short uh, press release. 
Um, victory. Courts allow inspection of Fulton County, Pennsylvania voting machines. All right, guys, that is some good news. Now, they have some very fine print of a writing here. So let me go ahead and expand that as I would. It says here, uh, victory courts allow inspection of Fulton County, Pennsylvania voting machines. Judge sides with the Amistad project schedules an inspection for January 10th, 2022. So uh, the only thing that I am not uh, savvy on here is if we have Jake Corman and his fellow rhinos doing a review, right, and it, it doesn't even include the voting machines, who's going to be inspecting? <laughs> who's going to be inspecting these voting? Because they kicked Mastriano out, right? And Mastriano was going after Dominion voting machines. So uh, I'll try and figure that, figure that out on the interim. Perhaps sometime next year, I'll bring you that information. But don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, we're only a day away from next year. So it may not be too long before I hound down on that. Uh, but I mean, that's a pretty good question, though. Uh, they did have, I think, Wake STI was the name of the vendor um, that was going to be doing the initial, um, the initial audit of the Dominion voting machines. Now, we know Wake STI was also present for the first leg of the Arizona forensic audit. And then they did not renew their contract after it expired. And so um, um, the Arizona forensic audit team hired another, uh, um, another electronics forensics type of a group to do the rest of the audit on the machines. But uh, that was the name of those who were involved at the time in Pennsylvania. Let's go ahead and read the rest of this uh, press release before I get caught up in my own words. And it says uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania has ruled in favor of the Amistad Project and Fulton County, Pennsylvania, allowing the county to send its Dominion voting machines to the state Senate for inspection on January 10th. The court recognized that it was improper to demand that the county, which owns the machines and has the responsibility of running the election along with the legislature, can't determine whether the machines worked properly said Phil Klein, director of the Amistad Project. As the judge noted, there's no justification for preventing the county from looking at their own machines. So, you know, Veronica de Graffenried was just being a big old bully there, right? And uh, she was trying to penalize them for... Uh, it's like saying you own your house, you can't clean and fix up your own house. You know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't inspect your home so that you can fix it up. You can't re-shingle your roof. You can't fix your foundations. That's against the law. Uh, you, we will, we will uh, decertify. You know, it's just it makes no sense, ladies and gentlemen. Talk about bullying, and uh, and trying to push one's weight around, or or perhaps just trying to instill again that element of fear into uh, the counties and their clerks, so that this way they will not go along with any type of audit. The press release concludes. Pennsylvania's Attorney General and Secretary of State had sued to prevent the inspection, which was originally scheduled for December 22nd, but the judge determined that it must be allowed to proceed with a short delay to allow experts from both sides to come up with a, former, a formal protocol for the inspection. Executive branch officials were trying to stop the inspection altogether, but the judge did not grant their emergency motion to stop the inspection, explained, uh, explained Amistad Project's attorney Tom King. They did not go to court seeking a delay. 
they sought to stop it and they lost. All right. So uh, kudos and good job there. That's something that they can definitely pat themselves on the back for. And uh, the Amistad Project is indeed involved in uh, election integrity work. Uh, they've also been on the ground in Wisconsin in regards to um, in regards to the Center for Tech and Civic Life and their activities with all of the money, of course, funneled through uh, Mark Zuckerberg that went into 2020's elections, ladies and gentlemen. And what a perfect segue into our main topic du jour for tonight as we, uh, as we um, do a review in kind of uh, what was going on in Wisconsin and uh, perhaps procure some information on why exactly Wisconsin can be and should be decertified. Now, as I stated at the onset of tonight's show, okay, when it comes to the different routes or uh, that we're taking for uh, proving election fraud, for correcting what was uh, uh, what was done in 2020, and exposing these individuals uh, for for what and who they are in terms of stripping Americans of their freedom and their vote, right? Um, and also President Trump as well of his uh, of his uh, rightful seat in the White House as as the duly elected president of this nation. Uh, the routes are going to be different, you know, um, not only uh, through this process, right, that we've experienced since November 3rd, 2020, have we been able to see and to realize the various ways that elections can be stolen, the various ways that fraud can be committed in an election. Uh, we're also seeing the various um, ways that we can take to correct and Again, I surmise that this has to do with how sloppy they executed their theft in 2020, right? Uh, because again, they probably thought Americans would have forgotten about it. They probably thought that enough of us were still watching the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media, uh, that, th- that this would not catch fire, that this would not catch on. They did not expect... Uh, you know, um, Americans to be uh, hundreds, thousands, millions, ah, okay, maybe a million (laughs) of Americans uh, to be aware of this and to be irked enough not to let it go. Uh, They did not expect enough America first candidates to get into office to actually move the people's will forward. Uh, Perhaps they they did not expect those elected representatives to have the backbone, uh, the initiative or the integrity to actually listen to their constituents, right? Um, So uh, maybe that's why they were so sloppy. Or maybe it's just because they thought that they would get away with it and that uh, they would be able to run out the clock. They'd be able to run out the 22 months that they're supposed to legally um, secure and hold all of that election data, right, that uh, they could get away with it. And again, where we're seeing uh, hard instances, provable instances of fraud in states like Georgia and in states like Arizona In a state like Wisconsin, okay, where it's already been determined that to find fraud in Wisconsin, okay, is hard to do, all right? Um, 
for some reason in Wisconsin, they cannot find the fraud, regardless of the ballot drops that came in after midnight, right? Um, regardless of uh, all of the uh, ballots, like, there's been no physical review of the ballots like they did. There's been no forensic review of the ballots like they did in uh, in Arizona. There's been no digital um, um, digital ballot review like they did in Georgia, right? Uh, we didn't have an organization like uh, Voter GA in Georgia over in Wisconsin that was doing that. So for some reason, it's hard to prove the fraud. But what it's not hard to prove, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why they can absolutely decertify Wisconsin tonight, right, is because there is hard evidence, fact that law was broken in the Wisconsin 2020 general election. And I will present and share with you all two instances, two instances where the law was broken beyond a shadow of a doubt Right. And so because that law was broken, they can absolutely decertify Wisconsin. So, again, as I've said several times, this information has presented itself over and over hidden in hidden underneath the news cycle um, for months. You know, some of these stories go back as far as March. You know, they they resurface again in May. They come back again in June, July, August, right? Not getting the traction. But I think the reason why they did not get the traction that they needed is because at that time, they also did not have um, a legislature that was going to help them out. They also did not have um, uh, anyone in the judiciary, that was paying attention to it, right? You know, this is the long game. So we needed to get our, uh, we need to get our, um, our story straight. We needed to do our investigations. We need to read the law. We need to find out exactly how the law could have been broken. And, uh, and from there, ladies and gentlemen, we can move forward. And so that basically brings us down here to today. And uh, real quick, real quick, uh, just something caught my attention in uh, in the chat uh, from uh, an individual by the name of Captain Longborder, whom I have not seen in the chat rooms before, who asks the question, do laws really matter? Well, I don't know. Does having a republic matter? Because if it doesn't, then yeah, laws don't matter. Uh, but if we're taking the cynical view on this and we're saying, well, they're going to break the law and they're going to get away with it anyways. Well, I guess if you're cynical, you can ask the question, do laws really matter? Uh, in my world, law matters, right? I live in a representative republic, you know, and uh, that is rule of law based. Okay, and so they absolutely matter. But I could understand the point of view that uh, laws don't matter because, uh, after all, they break the laws and they get away with it. Uh, but we are at a point in history where we're actually getting some movement in accountability, where we recognize there is a corrupt judiciary, uh, a very corrupt judiciary, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we actually have a, a body of Americans who are awake to the point of pushing their elected officials to get this job done and to correct the wrongs and uh, to uh, hold the criminals accountable, right? So with that said, absolutely laws matter, okay? Absolutely laws matter. Um, and Captain Longborder, who is living in a post-truth and post-law world. Well, I'd hate to live in that world, my friend. Yeah, I get it, though. I totally, totally understand your point of view. Um, 
albeit in my opinion, it's a little cynical, you know, but, uh, we all have, we, we all have our own different flavors at, uh, our perspectives on how these things follow through. Uh, but if I were to give up on that, ladies and gentlemen, I would not be here talking about how our elections were stolen. And I would not be here, uh, sharing this information as it's finally getting traction and it's moving forward. And so that's why I'm presenting, uh, that's why I'm presenting this information about Wisconsin. Because again, we have all of these people who keep on detracting in the mainstream, lamestream fake news legacy media, okay? We have all these people who are just trying to say, who are just trying to call us cuckoo still. And I think that we really do indeed need to, to appreciate that we have this information here and we have this data. And if we don't care about it, then why are we here? You know, why aren't we just getting our uh, vaccines and why aren't we just bowing down to the uh, communism that Joe Biden and his illegitimate regime are bringing into this country and to the destruction that is happening right now to everything that was built up in the last four years? Okay, why are we even present at this point if this does not matter? And again, I bring this up not just to... Um, refresh our memories and to wet our palates for the justice to come, but also for the benefit of those who are just waking up, for those who are just like, hey, there is something going on here, you know, that, uh, that, that isn't right, that doesn't feel right. Like, I've always known it doesn't feel right, and uh, people have stayed on it for so long that they're finally coming around to it, and they need to have this information uh, just as much as we needed it when we first heard about it months ago. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the stories tonight, at least some of them, and specifically in regards to the Center for Tech and Civic Life and their functions in Wisconsin, uh, because what they did in Wisconsin, now we all know the Center for Tech and Civic Life, they donated money to every state just about in this nation, right? And, uh, and that, that money was used to, uh, to get the vote out for the progressives and the Democrats, right? The money wasn't spent the way it was supposed to do. But in Wisconsin, they made a huge mistake, okay? And this is something that we don't see in the other states where the Center for Tech and Civic Life was involved. In Wisconsin, they made a big boo-boo. It's a glaring boo-boo. It is, it is loud and in your face, and it is specifically one of the reasons why they should decertify the state of Wisconsin's elections in 2020. Because they made a big mistake, and everyone sees it. And finally, this is the second time I am reporting this story on this show. First time was back in episode number 86, if I'm not mistaken, where we did a two-hour feature specifically on the Center for Tech and Civic Life. And I am not tired about talking about this stuff, guys. I am not. I will talk about these stories as much as I need to so that anyone who is new to the information can hear about it again. I am not jaded, okay? I am not going to say, ah, this is old news. Well, you know what? It's not old news to some people. And it is very important that it stays top of the mind. Because again, our elections are our freedom. Our vote is our freedom. Not just our voice and not just our choice, but literally representative of our rights and our freedom, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why I will stay on this as much and as long as I need to. Now, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, let us talk about Wisconsin. 
Now, uh, first of all, what I'd like to do is get us up to speed on what is going on in Wisconsin, okay? Because as some of us might remember, we've had the Rhino Speaker of the House, Robin Voss, who has done like, what, four audits already of uh, the state of Wisconsin? Or, you know, uh, they weren't even all completed. Some of them he said he was going to do, and then you never saw anything happen, right? And, uh... So, you know, not a lot of faith goes into Robin Voss, and rightly so. I still don't trust the man, right? I believe he's a rhino full out, okay, as the Speaker of the House who has accomplished nothing for election integrity in the state of Wisconsin. And then, of course, uh, we've had uh, other other individuals, one specifically being Representative Janelle Branchin, who is head of the uh, Commission for Elections and Camp- Campaigns and Elections in Wisconsin. She's actually been on top of this, but she's received absolutely no support. OK, there are even senators in the state of Wisconsin whom I thought were actually on the side of election integrity. Nope, nope, nope. They sure weren't. Instead, they did an investigation and they found there was no fraud. In, and so that's what I'm saying. In the, in the case of Wisconsin, there is no room to prove voter fraud because there's no support for it. Okay. Even Representative Branchin has shifted from fraud to breaking of the law. Okay. Now, um, um, with that in mind, okay, with that in mind, that is the angle I think would be most effective in getting a decertification for Wisconsin. It's in regards to the laws that were broken. And again, there are two specific instances of where that happened. But where we're going to pick up with Wisconsin is to remind us of what was happening last there. Now, some of y'all might remember we had a uh, former justice of Wisconsin by the name of Michael Gableman who has been put on the case by Robin Voss. Okay, again, the rhino speaker of the house. Now, we didn't see any action of this kind, ladies and gentlemen, from anyone, least of all Robin Voss, in regards to election integrity and uh, uncovering the fraud of 2020. We didn't see any of that until Robin Voss took a plane ride or he took a flight with President Trump down to Alabama. And after that visit with President Trump, Robin Voss had Michael Gableman get on the case. Okay. Now, like I said, uh, there are mixed feelings and viewpoints about Gableman. Okay. Understandable. Uh, Definitely about Robin Voss. Uh, This this could present itself as a cover-up. But at the same time, Gableman is not focusing on the fraud and the ballots. He's focusing on the Center for Tech and Civic Life, and he's focusing on potential laws that were broken according to state law and also municipals, the city law, the municipalities, their own uh, laws for the way that they run elections. And this is where they messed up. And by they, I mean the globalist elites the Center for Tech and Civic Life, this is where they messed up in Wisconsin, okay? They made, they made a really bad move. But where did we leave off with that? Where we left off with this is Gableman, who's actually been a bulldog on trying to get subpoenas through, trying to get uh, testimony, and really trying to dig into what happened in Wisconsin in five specific cities. Now, we've talked about the Wisconsin Five several times, 
Uh, they were part of that first report we did on the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Okay, we're talking about Racine, Kenosha, Green Bay, Milwaukee, and uh, Madison. Okay, now in those cities specifically, the law was broken. State law and city law was broken in regards to their um, in regards to their uh, their election process. Now, Michael Gableman has been trying to subpoena the mayors, I believe, of Racine and Madison to come and give testimony or uh, on, uh, on what happened, but they don't want to go, okay? So he subpoenaed them. And in fact, he's actually also asked for the, uh, the, de- the sheriff of the county to arrest them for not going in uh, to speak with him, for avoiding, for basically, uh, for basically uh, trying to, uh, to get away with, uh, with going and standing in the way of justice. Uh, let's take a look at this article. This comes from Courthouse News uh, as a way of a quick reminder and or a refresher, a catcher up, if you will about uh, what was going on with Gableman, okay? And now, uh, don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, if you guys have any questions about Gableman, uh, we'll talk about him in just a minute, okay? But let's see what, we, what this says here. We'll just do this in brief. It says, headline, Wisconsin judge urged to block subpoenas in 2020 election probe. Um, at issue is whether a former state Supreme Court justice hired by the GOP-controlled Wisconsin legislature to investigate the 2020 election can force election board members to sit for private depositions. So they're actively trying to block these subpoenas. That's what's going on right now. Madison, Wisconsin. A Wisconsin judge on Thursday heard arguments over the subpoenas authorities of a former state Supreme Court justice investigating the 2020 election on behalf of a legislative committee controlled by Republicans. And I apologize about that. I'm just trying to get the uh, text up to a good, uh, good size there for you guys. And over. Okay, perfect. Former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, a conservative who claimed without evidence last year, the 2020 election was stolen from former President Donald Trump, their words, not mine, was hired over the summer by Republican leaders in the Wisconsin legislature, chief, uh, chiefly Assembly Speaker Robin Voss of Rochester, to spearhead one of several probes into alleged irregularities and lawbreaking during the general election. In his investigation, Gableman, who officially works out of the Office of Special Counsel on behalf of an elections committee controlled by GOP legislators, has issued multiple subpoenas for documents and testimony, including the bipartisan Wisconsin Elections Commission and a designee of that agency most knowledgeable about the administration of the 2020 election, presumably Wisconsin, Wisconsin Election Commission Administrator Megan Wolf. Now, Megan Wolf's name will come up again later on tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call, a Democrat, sued on behalf of Wolf and the Wisconsin Election Commission in October, claiming the subpoenas are overbroad, serve no valid legislative purpose, and unlawful, unlawfully demand testimony in private rather than publicly, among other reasons. Defendants in the lawsuit are Voss, Gableman, the Wisconsin State Assembly, the Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections, and Janelle Branchen, a Republican representative from Menomi Falls uh, and chair of the Elections Committee. 
Assistant Attorney General Gabe Johnson Carp argued before Dane County Circuit Court Judge Rhonda Lanford on Thursday that the subpoenas pose grave due process issues because they demand private dep- depositions at Gableman's Brookfield office beyond statutory authority and carry the threat of imprisonment if the subpoenaed person does not comply. George Burnett with the Green Bay-based Conway Olzhenizak and Jerry Firm, one of four attorneys representing the defendants, said since Wolf is suing in her official capacity, she has no more due process rights than the Wisconsin Election Commission itself, which has none, uh, which has none, at, which has none as a government agency. Because the Wisconsin Election Commission gets its authority from the legislature, it has no right to sue to withhold documents or testimony demanded by a legislative investigation, he said, adding that the court itself has no authority to superintend a legislative investigation unless there's a constitutional violation which there is not. So the Wisconsin Election Commission, which is already, they're already dipping in the fire, guys, because Gableman's not the only one who's coming after them. The Wisconsin Election Commission, as we might recall, is also, um, has also been recommended to be charged with election fraud over in Racine County because of some of the activities that they've done. So the Wisconsin Election Commission is in deep trouble, okay? And um, it's interesting that they take their authority from the House legislature. And so they're trying to sue not to share information with their parent. You know, like basically it's like uh, they're, they're trying to withhold information from they who give them their authority. Like that, is, that takes something, you know, if it's not like uh, if it doesn't take guts, it takes a definite lack of uh, a common sense. To know that you can't do that because, I mean, uh, they created you. I'm sure they could shut you down also. So I find that point rather interesting. Uh, let's, uh, let's jump back into the article. It says, also appearing for Gableman was James Bopp, an Indiana attorney that brought numerous lawsuits challenging the 2020 election results last year. He reiterated that Gableman essentially acts with the authority of a legislative committee because he is authorized by a legislative committee and argued that nothing in the law says depositions must occur publicly before the committee. Uh, Joseph Voiland, a Port Washington-based attorney and former Ozaki County Circuit Court judge, was also in court on behalf of the Elections Committee and Branchen. Michael Dean, an attorney based in Brookfield, appeared via phone for Gableman. Lanford said at the uh, close of the proceedings Thursday she would issue a written decision on the plaintiff's injunction uh, motion and the defendant's motion to dismiss on or before January 10th. So that's what the hoopla was uh, just about a week ago over there in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, now, what? I, here comes a swamp creature, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, before we get into the rest of Wisconsin, I really wanted to show you guys this man. This is uh, and I, I, this is a face that should go with the name. This is the Attorney General Josh Call. Okay, now previously I have said that this man is a product of the George Soros uh, taking over of uh, legislators and uh, also judiciary and and uh, the DAs and the AGs. Right now, um, I I promise you, I read an article where that information was cited 
was not able to dig that up for, for tonight's episode, but I got something else for you in this regard. Now, not only is this man a Democrat, so I guess you would expect him to fight against election integrity. Now, as the article stated, he sued to have these subpoenas stopped, okay? Now, Josh Call is an all-around bad actor, okay? Um, he is a supporter of DACA, okay? He's, he's, he's actually signed on lawsuits to uh, ensure that it gets through. Uh, he's defended rapists, okay? Or I should say a rapist, to be fair, okay? Uh, you can go find the article if you want to look it up. Um, he has, uh, he's also declared that he will not enforce any abortion laws that are instated in the state of Wisconsin, he also will not defend election integrity. I find it very appropriate that this man is standing uh, in front of a snake demon behind him because this is, a, this is a snake, guys. This guy is not good for this country. He is not good for the state of Wisconsin. And he's been fighting Gableman at every turn since Gableman got on the case. And like I said, there are there there are reasons why some people don't trust Gableman and don't trust Voss, and I still don't trust Voss. Gableman, we have some points coming up on Gableman that I think are worth exploring, just as food for thought, um, without uh, without staking a claim on where we stand in regards to uh, whether or not he's faking any of this. Um, real quick, an article on Josh Call from the Wisconsin Public Radio. And uh, I can't stand NPR, but, uh, well, like I said, sometimes you get some interesting information from uh, the enemy's uh, outlets, right? Let's take a look. It says here, Attorney, Josh, Attorney General Josh Call blasts GOP-backed election investigation, outlines legal concerns. And this is from NPR, guys. So, you know, it's going to have a lot of language to the effect of there was no evidence of a fraud and, you know, uh, they're GOP right wingers, all that stuff. Right. So uh, it says a Democratic uh, Democrat attorney general Josh Call issued a sharp rebuke Monday. And this, this goes back to October. Uh, Monday of a Republican-backed investigation of the 2020 election in Wisconsin, saying the uh, the inquiry may have legal flaws that could keep it from moving forward. The taxpayer-funded investigation, which was called by Assembly Speaker Robin Voss um, and is being led by former conservative Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, spurred confusion uh, last week after Gableman refuted earlier reports that some subpoena requests to local officials across the state had been scaled back. In the same interview, Gableman likened the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel to Nazi propaganda. And, you know, uh, I, I should have looked a little bit deeper, but there was an article about the Soros connections to, uh, to the Wisconsin media. Hmm. Anyways, it says earlier in the week, he said he does not have a comprehensive understanding or even an understanding of how elections work. Now, I remember when I actually remember reading that line here on the show. Um, anyhow, uh, over the weekend, Gableman released a video on YouTube that criticized Governor Tony Evers' pushback on the investigation. In the video, Gableman also said violations of law or protocols or both may have occurred in the administration of the election without offering any evidence to back up the claim. Call's criticism of the probe Monday included the release of a State Department justice letter to Gableman outlining concerns with the efforts. Those concerns include the legislature overstepping its powers by attempting to conduct a law enforcement investigation and the issued subpoenas 
being overbroad, vague, irrelevant, and unduly burdensome. Okay, so I'll stop there. And I was just sharing that with you guys as an example. This is going back to October. Now Josh Call is trying to block those subpoenas. Okay, now I find this very interesting that uh, Call said that um, the, those concerns include the legislature overstepping its power by attempting to conduct a law enforcement investigation, okay? Because in the case of Racine County, which Josh Call is not going to pick up, he, he reverted all of that authority back to the legislature, he was like, well, it should, go to the, uh, it should go to the sheriff and he should do his duty. And if it doesn't go to them, then it should go to the DA. And if not, then the legislature should proceed. Okay, so he's already proving himself a hypocrite in his own right uh, when it comes to pre- uh, proceeding with any of this uh, investigation into election fraud. Okay, in this case, it's not fraud necessarily. It's, it's the law has been broken uh, and, and therein can be found the fraud, I would suppose. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer or anything like that. So uh, we'll just go with what these, uh, these stories talk about. Now, um, here's the interesting link, okay, with Attorney General Josh Call, okay? Because I was like, there's got to be something, ladies and gentlemen, that this man is connected to, that he fights so hard for progressive and communist ideals, and uh, he fights so hard against election integrity. There's got to be something with this man. There's got to be something. Someone he's connected to that this man is fighting hard to thwart election integrity and Wisconsin. And this was the ticket, ladies and gentlemen, uh, his LinkedIn account, which is current, I might add, places Attorney General Josh Call as a hired attorney working for Perkins Coy. Okay. Perkins Coy. Now, uh, let's see here. Um, it says that uh, Josh Call, uh, he, is, uh, he is actually going to try and run again for attorney general. Talks about his life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, let's see, where does it get down to? Okay, so it says here, uh, 2014 to present, he is an attorney for Perkins Coy. Okay, Josh's practice focuses on voting rights and other election-related litigation. He has tried cases challenging and rest- uh, challenging restrictive voting measures under the Voting Rights Act, which we know all of their points are just, uh, they make, they're baseless and they make no sense, right? And also the United States Constitution and federal courts in Wisconsin, North Carolina, Ohio, and Virginia, okay? So I was... Uh, I, okay, I was like, well, you know, I, it's not Soros. <laughs> uh, but uh, we all know Perkins Coy or Pork, Perkins Cooey. I like to say Perkins Coy. Um, and, that, and, and what they do, you know, we all know their connections to the Democrats. We all know how they work to thwart election integrity and, uh, and subvert the law in many instances uh, to favor Democrats, progressives, uh, all of that noise. Okay, so uh, this made perfect sense to me. Um, I, just, I just wasn't aware that someone could be a, a, an attorney general, a sitting attorney general, and still be part of a law firm like that. That kind of boggled my mind, but uh, I don't know how that works. But ladies and gentlemen, I had to show you the man, Josh Cole, because his name's going to be coming up. And I've already talked about him um, in previous episodes. So I thought I should do my just uh, duty here and share that info with you. Okay. 
All right, guys. So let's get back into uh, the mix of things here. Let's move away from Josh Call. Now we have a face for the name. And let's talk about uh, where these subpoenas are resting at this moment. And again, this is just to catch us up here real quick. Uh, this comes from the Wisconsin State Journal. It says, uh, Dane County judge to rule next month on validity of Gableman's subpoena. Okay, so we already know. Well, we heard the day of January 10th, right? Uh, an attorney representing Wisconsin Elections Administrator Megan Wolf, again, Megan Wolf's name coming up, told a judge Thursday that the public would be strongly deserved if former state Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman is allowed to hold a closed-door meeting with Wolf as part of his ongoing probe into the state's 2020 election, Dane County Circuit uh, Court Judge Rhonda Lanford said she plans to make a decision by January 10th on whether Gableman, who was hired earlier this year by Assembly Speaker Robin Voss to lead the review, has the authority to demand a private in-person interview with Wolf. The pending decision stems from Democrat Attorney General Josh Call's October request for a restraining order against the subpoenas issued by Gableman. Okay, and we'll move it down here real quick. Uh, it just talks about what Call's problem is, or we already know what his problem is. He's a, a communist in hiding. Okay, and uh, let's see here. If there's anything else I need to share with this from you, I'm mired in court. Oh, yes, something down here is what I recall. Let's travel on down. Okay, so here's where uh, this article mentions the outside money, which is the Center for Tech and Civic Life money that went into um, Wisconsin elections. Of course, uh, it went into uh, all, almost all the states. Uh, just real quick, it says um, Voss has allocated $676,000 to Gableman's Review, which is largely focused on private election grants from the Chicago-based Center for Tech and Civic Life funded by Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg that Republicans say were used to unfairly increase turnout in the Democrat strongholds of Milwaukee, Madison, Green Bay, Kenosha, and Racine. Okay. Um, and of course here, uh, talks about some court rulings with the CTCL. Um, and it gives you a C 214 municipalities. All right. Okay. Uh, 39 in Wisconsin. Uh, so that's what was going on there. And I think we're good. It just talks about the rest of uh, the other audits they tried to perform in Wisconsin and who led those, etc. Okay, so we can move on from there, guys. Now, that's the, that's the quickie update. Uh, what do we got next for ya? Okay, so um, where am I? Aha! Who dat? Who's that lady? Uh, that's actually Representative Branchin. Uh, but again, guys, before we talk about Branchin, and we'll just briefly talk on something that she has done recently, it's uh, just hitting the headlines, is that um, when it comes to election fraud, election integrity investigations in Wisconsin, we see a very different picture. It could be similar, but we see a very different picture from what we see in Arizona, okay? Clearly, they cannot perform an audit in the state of Wisconsin, primarily because there is no support for it, okay? If they were to do an Arizona-styled forensic audit in Wisconsin, based on what we've seen here tonight, we would have Attorney General Josh Call try and quash or dismiss or rule against any evidence 
we already know this guy's working for Perkins Coy, okay? We already know where he stands, what side of the line that he's towing. So they couldn't do it. And then, of course, they also have their governor. He's also against election integrity measures, you know? Uh, he's trying to strike down currently a measure that has to deal with allowing uh, you know, um, um, organizations like Center for Tech and Civic Life or any any unknown independent or uh, um, a type of organization from putting money into elections. You know, he thinks they have a good system, right? Uh, so therein lies the difference, right? And so the route of the broken laws, which Gableman is focusing on, uh, seems like their best way to get that moving. And then, of course, once they've proven the laws are broken and it's actually recognized by uh, a judiciary, hopefully that's not corrupt, you know, they can decertify and then they can have an audit. So they can figure out exactly what mechanisms they used in 2020 uh, to steal the election and to uh, disenfranchise America in total. Uh, now, real quick with uh, Representative Janelle Branchin, like I said, she sits on the uh, she sits as the chair of the committee on campaigns and elections. OK, now this poor lady who has been trying to do her job <laughs> and has been trying to follow the will of her constituents has had z- almost zero support. Uh, we aired a, a hearing that she had um, probably about, well, more, more than a month ago now, uh, where even those who were sitting on her committee panel had absolutely no value questions to be asked at the hearing, had no perspective, no viewpoint. You know, uh, I mean, I just, I, I, I uh, admire and appreciate her efforts, but the woman needs some support. Well, in regards to what is going on, uh, Janelle Branchin actually just released, um, she just released uh, a notice, basically, uh, to Megan Wolf. Okay, now, Megan Wolf, again, is the head administrator of the Wisconsin Election Committee. And the Wisconsin Election Committee, as I stated, is in deep trouble right now. So uh, uh, it seems that Representative Branchin is not going to sit down by the wayside. She's going to continue to press forward. Um, A lot of the things like she was trying to get um, the machines from the counties um, to audit them. And she received no support from Robin Voss. Uh, In fact, he denied her subpoenas. Right. So she's had no support. But she's moving forward either way. Okay, so let's see what she uh, issued here. Now, she issued this to Megan Wolf. And uh, this is a notice, and she's making some demands, okay? So we'll see where this goes, but uh, let's take a gander real quick at what she's requesting from uh, the Wisconsin Election Commission's head head administrator, Megan Wolf. Now, it says here, uh, Ms. Wolf, are you, uh, as you are aware, under Wisconsin law, uh, the Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections has oversight authority over the Wisconsin Election Commission an executive branch agency of which you are currently serving as executive director. We are concerned that Wisconsin's voter rolls and voting systems remain secure, protected and accurate in fulfillment of this committee's oversight obligations and responsibilities under state law. You are ordered to provide us with the following answers and information on or before December 31st, 2021. So she has until tomorrow. 
Uh, we'll just quickly go over some of the request information. One, please confirm that all the voter identification data contained within, used, or accessed by the Wisconsin statewide voter rolls system administered by your agency is hosted, stored, or otherwise resides on a server or servers owned and operated by the Wisconsin Department uh, of Administration. Uh, two, please provide the type, specifications, and version of database software used to contain and manage the data in the voter identification database, such as uh, MySQL, Oracle, etc., on said servers. Three, please identify the name and technical specifications, including coding language, version, and platform of the application software used to code and run the statewide system and whether any contractors were used to design, build, or operate any portion or component of the software. Please reveal where the state system is hosted. Is the state system hosted at DOA with or separate from the voter identification database? Or is it hosted elsewhere or on another server system such as Amazon Web Services or hosted physically at the Wisconsin Election Commission itself? Five, please provide a copy of any and all procurement agreements, requests, or proposals, bid requests, bid invitations, and all techno technology agreements, technology employment agreements, and other agreements related to coding, designing, structuring, envisioning, updating, editing, writing, or otherwise manipulating in any way the voter identification database or the statewide system that the Wisconsin Election Commission or any of its predecessors is or has been party a party to over the past 20 years. Six, please provide all logs and registries as commonly understood in a database and application and internet usage of all types, whether defined herein or not, including but not limited to registry logs, access logs, data change logs, login logs, and all other logs recording all digital activities occurring within the statewide system and the voter identification base, a database. Seven, please provide all logs, registries, or records of any kind recording all changes to the status of every voter, active and inactive, contained in the 7 million record voter identification base database or the statewide system. Please provide, number eight, an exact copy of the API code or software that allowed any and all private, for-profit, non-governmental, non-profit, political party, or any type of lobbying or advocacy group to directly access Wisconsin Vote, My Vote, or any other part of the statewide system or the voter identification base at any time during the 2020 years of 2020 and 2021. This one is important, okay, because this is going to go right to the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Nine, please provide a list of all voters referred by the Electronic Registration Information Center to the Wisconsin Election Commission or two Wisconsin clerks in 2020 and 2021, including the specific communication, the name of each voter and their address, driver's license number, date of birth, uh, and the date referred to the Wisconsin Election Commission or any Wisconsin clerk. Okay, so um, they're asking for a hefty amount of information, but as I was reading through those, um, through those, that list of demands, as it were, uh, this sounds very different from what we've seen when a representative on a committee is requesting information. Like there's one or two things in here that we've seen in Arizona, you know, that we've seen requested in Pennsylvania and New Hampshire, but that's some very technical information that they are requesting. And it, it makes one wonder 
What exactly are they fishing for? Now, that one point number eight, I believe, directly correlates to the activities of the uh, Center for Tech and Civic Life in the Wisconsin elections. Um, because they want to know who had access. And that is key, ladies and gentlemen. But all of this other information, technical stuff, API, databases, connectivity, um, that I believe specifically has to do with, uh, with a third aspect that uh, we're not going to get into tonight because that's still developing and still under investigation. But that has to do with, uh, with uh, the Center for Tech and Civic Life creating an app that they use to uh, track voters. But, you know, that's something that has been brought up. And I believe that this is what is specifically pertaining to because she didn't ask for Dominion voting machines. She didn't ask for the tabulators. She asked for a whole lot of other stuff that is quite frankly alien to me, uh, but worth sharing in that regard. Ah! (laughs) It is uh, Michael Gableman time, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys are uh, hanging in there and enjoying the show. Thanks for being with us real quick. Um, a special Patriot 72. Welcome in. Welcome in. Glad to have you with us. <laughs> Captain Longboarder, uh, thank you so much. And I appreciate you uh, being in the audience tonight. Two Rivers is joining us as well. How you doing, sir? Um, <laughs> And uh, something about them being full of cheese. And Michael Gableman looks like he's full of cheese, but I don't want to be mean. I like this picture, though, of Gableman. Like, yeah, he's like, what the heck is going on here, right? Like, <laughs> Anyways, all right, guys, uh, let's talk about Michael Gableman. I've shown you guys this photo before. Now, as I said, uh, when it comes to Gableman... Uh, it's, it's split hairs with Gableman. So people are on one side or the other with him. And I get it. Uh, that, uh, that one, uh, that one line we read a few articles ago where Gableman said he had no knowledge of how elections work and didn't know anything about the process. I remember reading that, uh, to the audience. And I remember, Basically, I said something to the effect of, you see, Robin Voss is doing nothing for election integrity and, uh, you know, proving election fraud in Wisconsin. He's hiring someone that knows nothing. And it's just another show. That's probably almost exactly what I said in regards to this man, Michael Gableman, and that statement. Okay, things have presented themselves in a different light since that time ladies and gentlemen, because this man has been pretty tenacious. Like when we're talking about the efforts for election audits and integrity in Wisconsin prior to this moment, they've been basically nil. Okay. They've been fraudits. They've been show audits. They've not held any water. Okay. Whatsoever. But again, this man is not going after the fraud of the ballots and the ballot dumps He's going after the way the money was used and the procedures, the protocol that may have been broken per state law and per city law in Wisconsin. Okay, so um, um, just to kind of give us some food for thought about Gableman. Okay, because like I said, um, I'm not really, you know, I'm I'm more apt to just observe and share and report what's going on in Wisconsin rather than pick a side. And so I don't want to sit here and say, Gableman is a good guy. He's doing the right thing, even though right now he is actually very much fighting for it. But I came across some interesting information. 
And uh, this information comes from the Washington Compost. Now, again, as I've said before, do I like to go uh, to the Washington Compost website and give them, uh, you know, a hit for visiting and reading their information? No. Do I like to... uh, use the Washington, say the Washington Compost as if though I were endorsing them? No. But sometimes you find interesting tidbits of information within the enemy's articles that uh, you might not find anywhere else. Now, in this instance, the Washington Compost did an article on Gableman, right? And in their efforts to demonize him, they actually offered me a perspective that I did not have of this man before. And that is all of the behind the scenes work that we don't see and that is not reported on in regards to his investigation. So uh, I wanted to share this information with you guys tonight just for perspective and food for thought. Do with it as you will. Uh, but this was, this was an article from the Washington Post, the Washington Compost, um, about Gableman and his investigation. They're trying to demonize him, right? But this is what I found, okay? Uh, the article said that documents obtained through public records acquired by the watchdog group American Oversight, which is a leftist progressive group, revealed that Gableman is running his investigation out of a Wisconsin strip mall office space that is shared through a subleasing agreement with the Thomas More Society, a legal nonprofit that has had ties to Trump's legal team and was involved with lawsuits last year seeking to overturn the election. So here you see they're trying to demonize him and they're like, he's running his investigation out of a strip mall office, right? Then they're trying to tie him to the Thomas More Society. They're trying to, uh, you know, throw a pie in his face and make him look like he's doing something bad. I actually found this reassuring because I'm familiar with the work of the Thomas More Society. I'm familiar with their efforts to support election integrity. And that speaks well to me of where this man is coming from. Uh, the argue, the article continues, Gableman told the assembly that the arrangement will save taxpayer money. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm down for that too. Uh, documents also show that as his probe got underway, the former justice traveled to Arizona to learn about its GOP-run election investigation. Oh, okay. So this man went down to the forensic audit and witnessed it himself. And, you know, that says a lot. Now, does that say that, oh, they're for election integrity just because they went to go check it out? You know, not necessarily. There are a few shady characters that went to Arizona to observe that are currently running for office in other states. Um, In the same breath, the article also says not only did Gableman go to Arizona um, as well, he also traveled to South Dakota to attend an election symposium hosted by Trump and MyPillow chief executive Mike Lindell, who has spent millions of dollars promoting false claims of voting fraud. Of course, that's their words, the Washington Compost, you'd expect it. But there's something else I didn't know about Gableman. He went to the cyber symposium in South Dakota hosted by Lindell. Um, I thought that was an interesting tidbit of information. The compost continues. Uh, Last month, Gableman, where'd I go? Last month, Gableman participated in a conference call organized by conservative activists who speak regularly to strategize about election integrity efforts nationally. 
according to two people familiar with the call who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe the private discussion. During this discussion, Gableman complained about criticism of his efforts and Democrat resistance to his inquiries and asked for support for his investigation, according to the people. The call was organized by Cleta Mitchell, a lawyer who assisted Trump's campaign and participated in a January call in which Trump urged Georgia Secretary of State Snakes Bradford Raffensperger to find votes necessary for him to win the state. So you see how the compost is trying to demonize him by connecting him and, and showing us, showing their readers, everyone that Gableman's tied to. Obviously, you can't trust the man, but that kind of makes me feel a little bit more comfortable with this man running this investigation. OK, but that's not all. OK, let's let's continue in, in on this. Now, Mitchell declined to comment, saying in a text message that she doesn't speak to callers from left wing fringe outlets. Of course, she's talking about the Washington Compost in this regard. Uh, it says in November, Gableman produced an interim report of his findings that he posted to his team's website, uh, wefraud.com, W-I-Fraud, one word, dot com, Wisconsin Fraud, W-I, it's their initials, right? Okay, we get it, okay. That began by declaring that it is beyond debate that questions remain about the integrity of the 2020 election. Now, Gableman's not saying it is beyond debate that there was fraud and we can prove it. He's saying that there are questions, right? But, you know, that still puts him in the right-wing conspiracy nutcase group, right? Now, during his December 1st presentation to the state legislature, he told lawmakers that he believed election officials in Wisconsin may have committed wrongdoing in part because of their resistance to his subpoenas. Gableman claimed their defiance showed that the two Democrat mayors, the six-member bipartisan commission, and the state's election administration are engaged in a cover-up intended to run and hide from accountability to the citizens they are supposed to serve. Democrat officials, he said, have no interest in exposing themselves or each other's wrongdoing to public accountability. Ann Jacobs, the Democrat chairwoman of the Elections Commission, has said that the state's election was fairly administered and accused Republican legislatures who created the Bipartisan Commission five years ago of now wishing to abolish the panel to make it easier to control election outcomes. And everyone knows it's the Democrats who are passing, like, what, H.R. 1 to make it easier to steal, to make it easier to control the outcome of an election? Isn't that why they use this fake pandemic from a genuinely manufactured disease in order to control the outcome of the 2020 general election, right? How they project and how they hypocritize, ladies and gentlemen, is beyond me. And uh, how obviously in the face it is, is, is way further beyond me. But anyhow, um, the article goes on. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, they're giving us the rap sheet on Michael Gableman. And to me, it's kind of fortifying his position on this case. Okay. Um, why or how Robin Voss ended up hiring this man, I think has something to do with the conversation he had with President Trump on that plane to Alabama. But I was not present, so I could not say for a fact. All I know is uh, Robin Voss hired this man after that trip. And uh, Trump had uh, 
had some things to say about, you know, Robin Voss and uh, him uh, standing for election integrity, which all of us were kind of like, huh? Like uh, Robin Voss and election integrity don't make sense. You know, they don't mix. But, uh, well, we'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, It says here, for a time, Gableman declined to publicly identify the investigators and lawyers he hired to assist his efforts. Okay, so now you, as as we recall, um, this investigation is costing $676,000 to the taxpayers, right? They're trying to demonize uh, the conservatives or those who are standing for election integrity because of the price tag it's going to go towards the taxpayers. Now, we know some of that money was spent on Gableman going to Arizona. Some of that money was spent on Gableman going to South Dakota. What's the rest of the money being spent on? Well, it appears that this is also going into uh, people that he has hired to work alongside him in this investigation. So the Washington Compost tries to demonize him for that by calling out the people that Gableman has hired. So who has he hired to work with him on this investigation? Um, The article says, after Wisconsin news organizations successfully identified several of his aides and judges ordered internal emails and spending records to be released in response to public public records request, Gableman this month provided details about nine of the 10 people he said he has hired. Okay, the 10th one he wishes to keep confidential. Uh, These people include a man by the name of Ron Hauer who is the president of the nonprofit Wisconsin Voter Alliance, which last year pursued several lawsuits challenging the election. One filed in late December asked a federal judge to block Congress from confirming Biden's win on January 6th. In rejecting the request, the judge wrote that it would be risable were its targets not so grave, the undermining of a Democrat election for the president of the United States. He then referred the lawyer uh, handling the case uh, for possible grievance hearings and disbarment. Okay. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Gableman. We don't need to talk about how much he's getting paid. Another member of Gableman's team is a man by the name of Andrew Kloster, who is a lawyer who served in the White House presidential personnel office during a key stretch at the end of Trump's administration when the office worked to hire Trump loyalists to the government. Okay, so uh, we have a lawyer who fought for election integrity and uh, to not have the election stolen. Uh, We have um, a man, a lawyer who uh, worked in the Trump White House. Okay, so uh, so far so good, if you ask me. Um, let's see here. Gableman uh, has said a third member of his team is a man by the name of Clint Lancaster, who is an Arkansas lawyer and local GOP official who represented Trump during the Wisconsin recount, according to his resume, which was submitted to Gableman and posted online by American Oversight. Uh, Lancaster also represented an Arkansas woman who sued Biden's son, Hunter, alleging that he fathered her child. Hunter Biden agreed to pay child support, settling the politically embarrassing case not long before the 2020 election. So, um, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There's some food for thought. There's some perspective on Michael Gableman. Do with it as you will. You know, now, as far as um, the proof is in the pudding, right? 
Uh, and the reason why I say that is because, uh, yeah, these guys might have worked in the Trump administration. Yes, these guys might have worked uh, to fight the fraud that occurred in 2020 and to stop the election from being stolen. Um, but does that necessarily mean that they're going to follow through or that maybe they're not, you know, uh, you know, they're not a Benedict Arnold? Uh, and I say that because the current Secretary of State for Texas, as appointed by Rhino Abbott, um, also was uh, on uh, the lawyer team for President Trump in Pennsylvania, right? And that man is totally down with the fraud audit that they're going to be doing here in the state of Texas. So, uh, you know, not everyone is as who they seem, but I would say this rap sheet that was meant to demonize and bring down Michael Gableman, uh, at least for myself, uh, made me feel a bit of comfort knowing that this bulldog is tenaciously going after laws that were broken in Wisconsin in regards to their election. Okay, now with that perspective on Gableman, let's talk about the Center for Tech and Civic Life and the huge mistake that they made uh, in um, – not only issuing the money, it wasn't maybe the issuance of the money, right? Because they're still going to have several lawsuits um, to try and figure out how that money was spent in all states, right? In all municipalities that, uh, that actually uh, accepted the money, right? Like, uh, show, us how, show us the receipts, right? It was the actions that took place in Wisconsin, in the Wisconsin Five, uh, where they really goofed up. Uh, the Center for Tech and Civic Life. So let's head over to Uncover DC. All right. Uh, this article comes from November 9th. Now, um, Real Clear Investigations did an article back in April or May on the same topic, right? And we actually republished that article over at thecreport.com. Okay. Uh, but uh, this article here, from Uncover DC gets into some of the details and includes Gableman's role in it is why I'm sharing it. Now it's called Accountability in Wisconsin for CTCL and CEIR grants question mark because that's the main question right now. Now like as of right now we have like five states, like Florida's one of them and I think Alabama might be another. I don't remember the other three who've actually passed laws that will um will stop uh, organizations like the Center for Tech and Civic Life and, you know, uh, uh, concerned interests like Mark Zuckerberg from basically uh, buying elections, right? They, five states already have those laws on the book, right? Um, but that's what the question is. Will they be held accountable for these grants? Because that's what everyone's looking at right now uh, if they can't get the fraud motion through. So let's go ahead and take a real quick look. It says here, of course, the 2020 elections were administered using more than just taxpayer money. Funding also came from third-party groups, including the Center for Tech and Civic Life, CTCL. Wisconsin may be ground zero for investigations into exactly how it was done, what political motivations were behind that money, and to what extent it was criminal. Okay, now it's talking about Michael Gableman being named a special counsel by Robin Voss, right? Now it says here, uh, subpoenas have been sent to mayors and officials in the big five Wisconsin cities that received the most Zuckerbucks seeking all records related to grants by CTCL. Okay. 
Um, as Gableman explained on Dan O'Donnell's radio show, how much did Mark Zuckerberg's employees or agents take over administration on behalf of a private individual or a private group? How deeply and how substantively did they actually administer public elections? And equally important, to what extent did their clear preference for one candidate, that's Joe Biden, influence their conduct? Green Bay, for one, received millions in grant money for administration and election expenses from groups like CTCL and the Center for Election Innovation and Research, CEIR. Uh, the Federalist reported that their analysis found that money resulted in a significant benefit to Joe Biden. Attorney Eric Cardle, uh, who has clients challenging the five largest recipients of grants in Wisconsin, including Green Bay, told Steve Bannon in July they were targeting minorities, low-income people, and they were targeting certain ge geographies. That's all unconstitutional. Uh, the free market voice for Wisconsin uh, McIver Institute said in March that at least five laws had been violated and that Green Bay Mayor Eric Genrich may have personally committed felony misconduct in public office. State Representative Janelle Branchin's April 20th e-update describes potential criminality alleged by Cardle's lawsuit further by saying it appears the third party group took over the election and followed their own processes and procedures. In doing so, election laws may have been violated. And ladies and gentlemen, we have the evidence for you here tonight okay so this is the law specifically that was broken now i say one they say five and the reason why they say five is because it happened in five cities ladies and gentlemen five laws one for each city basically wisconsin state law and the laws of the municipalities in wisconsin state that the only person the only individual who is to be in charge of elections per city is the county clerk, okay? That is not what happened in Wisconsin. And that is where Zuckerberg and his goons messed up, okay? Because they had a representative from another organization that's underneath their umbrella go into each of those cities and run their elections, which is in direct violation of both the city and state law. Okay, now that I've said that, we will get into it. So it can be decertified. And that's not the only reason why. Uh, emails from election day showed skepticism toward involvement by outside consultants from CTCL and other third parties in Green Bay and elsewhere. Those emails prompted a committee hearing led by Branchen that Green Bay Mayor Eric Genrich uh, called a Stalinist show trial. Genrich complained that he was not allowed to participate, but the city attorney responded that she would be unavailable to appear on his behalf when invited. And there's the hearing there. Uh, the emails were highly publicized, okay, um, in March and would surely be a focus of any honest special counsel investigation. Some show that Democrat political activist Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, now remember that name because it's going to come up again, from New York was hired with third-party funds and granted access to counting rooms in Green Bay. Rubenstein's group, the National Vote at Home Institute, shares executives with the Center for Tech and Civic Life. 
a Brown County clerk is the one who had voiced concerns about the involvement of outside consultants and an email by a Wisconsin Elections Commission staff attorney shows prior knowledge through discussions with the city of Green Bay. An election day email says, do not unlock grand ballroom until Michael Spitzer Rubenstein requests. Okay, so that's where we're getting to the heart of it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we have uh, this press release from Branching. I'll just read in short. With less than 1% of the CTCL money spent on personal protective equipment, because that's, uh, that's what they said all of this was for. It was to make a safe election for 2020 with this uh, genuinely manufactured disease and this uh, fake pandemic. Um, she said, I'd like to thank Congressman Scott Fitzgerald, not the writer, Glenn Grothman and Tom Tiffany for demanding CTCL immediately publish their full financial 990s for review. Congressman Fitzgerald uh, Grothman and Tiffany realize how third party money has damaged voter confidence in Wisconsin. CTCL grant dollars were a quid pro quo, inserting Democrat operatives into election offices such as in Green Bay. CTCL then had the ability to claw back dollars if they were not satisfied with the municipality's cooperation, okay? So basically it was, we're going to give you this money, you do it this way, and if you don't, you have to pay us back. So obviously they're going to they're gonna follow what they want, not to mention they're Democrats anyways and stuff like that. So uh, that's basically the long and short of what we're looking at in regards to this law and the uh, involvement of CTCL. And also now we have the... Um, Institute uh, for Vote at Home, and one Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. Now, there's the man, ladies and gentlemen. I will refrain from making comment about this man, but this is Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. Again, I thought you guys should have a face to the name because his name's going to come up a little bit more before we close out the night. And uh, we're almost there, ladies and gentlemen. I'd say give me, give me a good 20 more minutes or so, and we'll wrap up tonight's show. I thank you all for hanging out and joining us today. Hey, AP9889, how you doing tonight? Glad to see you in the audience. I hope you're doing well, friend. And thank you for stopping by. But there you go. There's Michael Spitzer Rubenstein. This is the man that came in, and he basically ran the elections in the Wisconsin Five, all right? Um, but they have a hard line on uh, his activities in Green Bay specifically, okay? All right. So this man, complicit in breaking the law in Wisconsin. Uh, this article from the Daily Signal, Democrats operative got secret internet connection at Wisconsin Election Center emails show, okay? This comes back from March, okay? So that's what I'm saying. These these news cycle, these news articles, these pieces of information, uh, they cycle through the news underneath the currents, and finally they're getting some traction. Okay, because this is what they're going after right now. Uh, it says a veteran Democrat operative intricately involved in Green Bay's November election was given access to hidden identifiers for the internet network at the hotel convention center where ballots were counted according to emails obtained by Wisconsin Spotlight. Green Bay city officials insist the presidential election was administered exclusively by city staff, but the emails show that Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, Wisconsin state led for the National Vote at Home 
Institute had a troubling amount of contact with election administration November 4th. Okay, um, let's see here. Uh, let's see, uh, it says the uh, Trent Jamison, director of event technology at Green Bay's Hyatt Regency and KI Event Center said, I'll have my team create two separate SSIDs for you. Okay. And this is, uh, this is for, uh, this is something he wrote to Michael Spitzer Rubenstein in an email. Okay. Now SSID stands for service set identifier. It's an internet networks name. Open up that the list of Wi-Fi networks on your laptop or phone and the lists of SSIDs will pop up wireless router or access points broadcast SSIDs so nearby devices can find and display any networks available. Um, let's see, hiding the identifier keeps the network name from being publicly broadcast. The identifier won't immediately pop up in the display, although the network name remains available for use. Um, Jameson wrote in his October 27th email to Spitzer Rubenstein, one SSID will be hidden and it's a 2020 vote. There will be no password or splash page for this one, and it should only be used for the sensitive machines that need to be connected to the internet. Okay, so again, these show uh, that he's getting access when he shouldn't because he is not an administrator for the elections. It goes on to give more examples about uh, emails that were passed uh, between, for example, the mayor's community liaison, uh, Green Bay's chief election inspector, the multimedia communication specialist, uh, the city's information technology administrator, all going to Spitzer Rubenstein. Okay, so you have to know that he's definitely involved uh, if they're giving him this much access and sharing this much information. Okay, um, it says, again, Rich, Green Bay's mayor did not return Wisconsin Spotlight's calls seeking comment. And then it talks about the end result of the um, the end result of the elections and uh, Zuckerberg's role also through the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Okay, so there's that. Um, let's see here. Let me go ahead and pop over to the next piece of it. Okay, so this here's actually it's the emails, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, but this is, and we're not going to go through all of these because there it's seventy one pages of information. Um, but this is an example of uh, what I was talking about. Do not unlock Grand Ballroom until Michael Spitzer Rubenstein's requests and is with security when unlocking the Grand Ballroom. Okay, that should not be Spitzer Rubenstein there. It should be the county clerk. That's the person who's supposed to be administering uh, and, and uh, in charge of these elections. And like I said, we're not going to go through all of these. Um, but just so you can see, this is all of the communications via email with Spitzer Rubenstein that they collected to make this case. Okay, so uh, all of this here, guys, all of it, all of it, all of it. Now, if I'm not mistaken, um, Green Bay was the first to get a, um, a contact with uh, the Center for Tech and Civic Life and uh it was the Center for Tech and Civic Life that recommended Michael Spitzer Rubenstein uh, to help them, assist them with this fraud. Um, and then from there, uh, that mayor sent it out to the other four uh, cities that are involved in this um, deliberate breaking of the law. Um, now, I'm going to share with you this video real quick. And I'm just uh, setting this up for good sound here. Just a moment.
Mm-hmm. Where'd I go? Oh, there I am. Okay. Now, this video clearly defines everything that is wrong about Michael Spitzer Rubenstein's involvement with these elections. Like, it, it, it clearly spells it out, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, let me go ahead and get that popped up for you. Okay, here we go, guys. Check this out. The Wisconsin Assembly is determined to find out why a Democrat political operative had full access to the city of Green Bay's central count facility during last fall's election. Election officials say Michael Spitzer Rubenstein had a laptop and cell phone at central count. He was inspecting ballots and he was advising election workers. I, I think probably the most alarming thing was seeing on the Hyatt contract that this Michael Spritzer Rubenstein had four keys to the facility and very clear and bold type also said, you know, do not open the room until he is there. And uh, as someone who signed the book as an observer that day, I think that makes a lot of us concerned about what roles outside groups have during elections. Would that have been something that an observer would have had the ability to have. Again, I cannot speak to Green Bay's arrangement or if he was clerk staff. I, I don't know that. Okay. And no evidence has been found, but no an observer would not. So if Rubenstein was an observer, then everything he was doing at Central Count was illegal. If he wasn't an observer, then lawmakers reason he must have been hired by the city. So if indeed he would have identified himself as a staff member. I assume that all communications that he participated in okay. would be open to open records requests as an employee. I, I think that's probably an accurate assessment. And so we asked for the records from the, the documents and files he was working with on his laptop, on his cell phone. And the city of Green Bay replied to us and said, oh, well, he's not an employee, so he's not subject to open records request. Not only was he not an employee, the city of Green Bay says it did not even have a contract with Rubenstein. Then legally, he was not supposed to have that kind of access. He was not supposed to have Wi-Fi passwords that the city was using for their election process. He should not have had any access to keys. He should not have had access to um, being able to walk around where poll observers were not allowed. Poll observers have this area they are allowed to be in. And he was going far beyond that. The walls seem to be closing in at City Hall. Um, I certainly think for appearances sake and confidence sake that they need to be very transparent and explicit about what the roles are at the polls. I, I certainly think that's a best practice. And um, they would have to answer to what his role was um, and why he was there. So, you know, honestly, the Green, city of Green Bay, the administration there is not being honest. In, I, they, he was either way more involved. He really was being treated as a clerk, in which case he is subject to open records. Or he was or he was a poll observer and they were breaking the law to give him that access. So far, Green Bay Mayor Eric Genrick has refused to testify at these hearings. However, the assembly just passed a joint resolution to open a formal investigation into the 2020 election. That means it can now use subpoenas to force public officials to testify under oath. For the McIver Institute, I'm Bill Osmolsky. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think that summed it up better than uh, all of the articles I shared with you. But that is the crux of what we're talking about in regards to the laws being broken. They have the evidence, they have the communications, 
uh, clearly everyone there is kind of like, uh, is kind of like, what was this guy even doing there, right? Like, why was he even there? And again, he comes from the uh, Institute, National Institute for Vote, National Vote from Home Institute, uh, which works under the umbrella of uh, the Center for Tech and Civic Life, which received the money. They received, uh, they received the, um, the recommendation on his involvement. And uh, the mayors of the, the Wisconsin Five thought it was a great idea to have this man run their elections in spite of, despite of election law. All right, guys, we're almost at the end of it. Thank you so much. I realize we went into heavy overtime tonight. Haven't done that in a minute, right? Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for it while I've got the life for it, so to speak. Uh, this last uh, last bit I want to share with you in regards to this broken law and, and why they can decertify um, and in regards to Michael Rubenstein's role and really the uh, area that they're narrowing down their investigation into um, with this uh, has to do with the clerks, okay? Um, the clerks who were supposed to be running the elections, uh, more evidence coming in that they had nothing to do with it. And they were shocked that uh, this Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, this bushy browed Muppet from New York, came down and uh, basically ran their elections for them. Right. Uh, so this one's actually from the McIver Institute. They're the ones that did the video that we just watched. Uh, Green Bay's handling of presidential election violated at least five laws. Okay. Um, now it says, just how lawless was the city of Green Bay's handling of November's presidential election? It clearly violated at least five state statutes and Mayor Eric Genrich uh, may have personally committed felony misconduct in public office. Um, it talks about the emails here. Now it says here specifically <clears throat> um, that uh, it says here specifically that during a hearing on Wednesday, it demonstrated that Genrich usurped the law's author lawful authority of Green Bay city clerk, Chris Teske to run the election, thereby running afoul of Wisconsin statute 7.151's requirement that each municipal clerk has charge and supervision of elections and registration in the municipality. Uh, Teske did not. Okay, it says, uh, it says Genrich used $1.6 million in grant money from Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg's Center for Tech and Civic Life to essentially replace Teske with Michael Spitzer Rubenstein, the Wisconsin, led, uh, the Wisconsin lead for the Liberal National Vote at Home Institute. Uh, Teske wrote, I am being left out of the discussion and not listened to at the meetings. Um, she said, uh, she, uh, she had been told by Genrich, according to this, that, um, Michael Rubenstein, um, and the grant team were now observing, overseeing election preparations and not her. Again, why is it that during this entire planned pandemic, we have individuals thinking that they can supersede state law and legislative, um, uh, authority and change elections like they don't have the right to do it. You know, they have no right. It's it's state. It's the legislature that makes the state law and passes that. Not 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 clerks, not mayors, not uh, councilmen, not uh, commissioners. None of that. They None of those people have jurisdiction to do that. You know, we all understand that. Right. Um, anyways. So um, as it goes on, um, 
she added another email, Teske, I just don't know where the clerk's office fits in anymore. Her frustrations would only grow over the next month. She says, I'm very frustrated along with the clerk's office, she wrote on August 28th. I don't know what to do anymore. I am trying to explain the process, but it isn't heard. I don't feel I can talk to the mayor. I don't understand how people who don't have the knowledge of the process can tell us how to manage the election. Legally, they couldn't. Wisconsin Statute 7.302A mandates that only election officials appointed under state law may conduct an election. Mayors cannot legally run elections. Liberal special interest groups cannot legally run elections. Yet they were, yet they did. On October 7th, Michael Spitzer-Rubenstein offered to help with curing absentee ballots that are missing a signature or witness signature address. Teske declined, but Genrich's chief of staff, Celestine Jeffries, stepped in to let her know that the grant mentors would like to meet with you to discuss further the ballot curing process. Please let them know you're available. Under Wisconsin Statute 6.879, if a municipal clerk receives an absentee ballot with an improperly completed certificate or with no certificate, the clerk may return the ballot to the elector inside the sealed envelope with an envelope uh, when an envelope is received, together with a new envelope if necessary, whenever time permits the elector to correct the defect and return the ballot. For years, the Wisconsin Election Commission has been ignoring this law and allowing clerks to cure ballots themselves, but it is patently unlawful for anyone outside of municipal government to do so. Okay. And now it says Brown County Clerk Sandy Juno was so alarmed by what was going on in Green Bay that she contacted the Wisconsin Elections Commission. She said to them, in reviewing many of the emails received through open records request and shared with me, it's apparent that the elections duties and responsibilities of the municipal clerk were thwarted by the mayor's office during the 2020 election cycle. An appointed municipal clerk does not have the same independence and freedom in running elections as that of an elected official. The city of Green Bay mayor's office demonstrates how, how to effectively remove the city clerk from election responsibilities and confiscate the clerk duties protected under Wisconsin law. You see, this is what Gableman's going after, okay? And Gableman has subpoenaed the mayor of Green Bay to go and have a little chit-chat. That subpoena has been ignored, and they're trying to squash it, Josh Call, Wisconsin Attorney General. So the article goes on about, uh, you know, what was being said in regards to this. Um, and how the clerks felt and those who were witnessing what was going on in Green Bay, right? And then uh, it goes on to talk about uh, more of the access that, uh, that um, uh, Michael Spitzer Rubenstein had um, to um, election files and uh, voter files, as well as uh, the ballots and the curing of ballots, right? And you have to wonder what was going on with the curing of ballots. Now, the curing of ballots generally is like what making making sure signatures match, making sure everything's filled out correctly, making sure all the information is there. And that's why it talked about, uh, you know, if, uh, if a clerk receives a ballot to cure, then or not to cure necessarily to get corrected, they mail it back to the voter. OK, they don't cure it themselves. They don't they don't determine that for themselves. But apparently Michael Spitzer Rubenstein did just that and his grant team. Right. And so 
a lot of questions, of course, arise out of the involvement of CTCL, right? Center for Tech and Civic Life. Uh, here in Wisconsin, they made obvious, blatant. I mean, mistake is not the right word. It's it's their mistake, okay? But they went in there knowing what they were doing, okay? And, um, you know, they're trying to say, well, in regards to the next case, and it, the next one will be real short, guys, I promise you, we're almost done. Um, but, but they're trying to say, well, it was a pandemic uh, and we didn't want people to be endangered, you know, and that's why we did this. But uh, pandemic or no pandemic, there's no excuse to break city and state law to have some, um, you know, uh, outsider come in and run your elections. And uh, so I'm sure the mayor of Green Bay will uh, figure that out. But again, the question about, uh, about justice and law in today's day and age, it is a valid question because we have corrupt judiciaries. Okay, we have corrupt judges, we have corrupt DAs, all of that stuff right? So it is a valid question to ask. And we have to see where that's going to go. January 10th is the day where we will find out the ruling on whether or not those subpoenas will be dismissed. As uh, Attorney General Josh Call, Perkins Coie lawyer, um, wants, as well as the governor, or if they're going to go ahead and allow Gableman's subpoenas to stand, and uh, they're going to have to bring in the mayor of Green Bay for a little chit chat. Okay, so that is one of the pieces because this happened in five cities, guys, including Milwaukee, you know, uh, the largest uh, municipalities in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, Does that constitute um, does that constitute um, uh, uh, the number of votes uh, being more than uh, what was required to win uh, in a a Trump versus Biden? Oh, I think so. Okay. now the last point I have about why it can be decertified. Real quick, one short article, and I'm not spending a lot of time on this because this is pretty fresh, and I'm pretty sure a lot of us are familiar with it. Uh, this article comes from uh, One American News Network, and it has to do with the Racine, the Racine County um, um, Sheriff and uh, the involvement of the Wisconsin Election Commission in telling every nursing home and rehabilitation center in Wisconsin that they could uh, legally harvest ballots, okay? And they could legally um, uh, uh, v- uh, help their, uh, their residents vote. And uh, that came up because uh, some of these individuals uh, in these residencies uh, were unable to vote uh, because of, uh, you know, whatever situation they might have been in. Maybe they were incapacitated. Maybe they are incoherent. Uh, In one instance, uh, there was a dead person who had passed that voted, you know. And uh, so this became very important to kind of shell out. But uh, I like this, this headline from One American News Network. Uh, because it's the race to decertify right now, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I had Georgia in the running for a while, and now I kind of got my money on Wisconsin. Who wants to make a wager? Who's going to decertify first, right? Because it's not going to be Arizona, right? We got, we're almost 100 days in Arizona since uh, since the sleeping bear, what I used to call him, A.G. Brnovich, has done nothing with any of the information, it seems, in regards to uh, Arizona and the forensic audit and the fraud that was discovered there. Uh, but One American News Network says uh, Wisconsin may surpass Arizona and be first state to decertify 2020 presidential election. Short article. Uh, it says here, this is from Christina Bob, 
Everyone knows and loves Christina Bob. It says, uh, the Wisconsin Election Commission knowingly and intentionally violated the state's election laws and instructed subordinate election officials to do the same, according to the Racine County Sheriff, Christopher Schmeling. In a shocking press conference on Thursday, law enforcement officials for the Racine County Sheriff's Office laid out their case of election fraud in Racine during the 2020 election. The investigation focused on abuse of voters confined to nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Investigators discovered the Wisconsin election officials expressly discussed that their proposed conduct for the 2020 election would violate state law, and yet they decided to do it anyways. They memorialized their decision in a letter they wrote and disseminated to every single county clerk's office in Wisconsin. Sheriff Schmeling stated that officials indicated that they needed to needed the flexibility to violate the law and that they needed to instruct county clerks to break the law. Despite the blatant absurdity of the statement, the express illegality of their activities and the fact that they were all being recorded on their Zoom meeting, election officials went ahead and violated the law anyway. The sheriff's office played the video from the Zoom meeting of the commissioners discussing their need to break the law and instruct others to do the same. Couple that with the confirmed activities that actually occurred during the 2020 election and Sheriff Smaling uh, has a a very uh, compelling case of election fraud. Specifically, the letter from the Wisconsin Election Commission instructed county officials to not allow special voting deputies into their nursing homes. These individuals are trained professionals responsible for ensuring the rights of the nursing home residents. They're also responsible to ensure the elders are not abused for their voting privileges and that no ballot harvesting or other illegal activity takes place. Wisconsin Election Commission decided that due to COVID, it was too dangerous for these individuals to enter the facility despite the fact that Wisconsin state law requires them to be part of the process. By requiring county clerks to exclude these deputies from the election process, Wisconsin Election Commission committed election fraud. State leaders and nursing home administrators uh, thought it was safe enough for the fish tank maintenance workers to enter the facility, DoorDash delivery drivers, vending machine workers, elevator repairmen, birdcage cleaners, and copy machine vendors, but it was too dangerous to allow special voting deputies inside to ensure that no abuses of the rights of the elderly were taking place. It's a preposterous proposition to take, position to take, but it's the position the Wisconsin Election Commission has taken. It's also a violation of Wisconsin Statute 6.875. The sheriff and his sergeant told multiple horrific stories of victimizing the elderly for the purpose of stealing their vote. On multiple occasions, election workers cast ballots on behalf of incapacitated residents of the nursing home. Those residents who were not lucid had ballots cast on their behalf if they were simply capable of pointing to the ballot. Election workers then interpreted that point as an affirmative vote for a specific candidate. Multiple family members of nursing home residents attended the press event to voice their concern that their loved ones were manipulated for their vote. Some of the complaints stated that election workers cast ballots on behalf of incapacitated residents in accordance with how they voted last election, despite the fact the resident was not cognizant nor capable to consenting to the vote. Um, and uh, let's see here. Well, I guess we'll finish it out real quick. It's almost done. Uh, 
Uh, Sheriff Smaling stated that they believe this happened in most of the nursing homes in the state, but that they would enforce the law as it pertained to those in Racine County. There were 11 nursing homes in Racine and all are believed to have suffered the similar abuse. There are 72 counties in Wisconsin, making for hundreds of nursing homes subject to this abuse and hundreds of ballots were used in each of the nursing homes. Based on just nursing home abuses and election fraud, there could be high, as high as 50,000 fraudulent votes or fraudulent ballots cast in the Wisconsin during the 2020 election. Biden supposedly won the state by just over 20,000. This is more than enough fraud to have changed the outcome of the election. The Wisconsin Election Commission orchestrated a criminal and fraudulent election. The sheriff has said that he is referring the crimes to the Racine District Attorney, Patricia Hansen. Hansen is an elected Republican and will be called upon to prosecute these crimes. At the same time, the Wisconsin legislature has more than enough evidence to show that the results certified in 2020 are fraudulent and must be decertified. It's incumbent upon Republican state legislature to stand by the laws they pass and not allow criminal activity to overrule law and order. The Wisconsin state legislature is primed to decertify their election, but will they? Okay, guys, so uh, tell all those naysayers out there. <laughs> but indeed, um, Wisconsin can and should be decertified tonight, ladies and gentlemen, uh, now. But will they do it? You know, so, uh, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. There's our little touch and go on Wisconsin, our little refresher, our little brand new news to those who may not have heard it before. Uh, but that, that is the route in Wisconsin they have to go because they're being blocked on fraud. Okay. But on the, on the side of the law, you know, they have some ground for decertification right? I mean, we, we hammered through election fraud evidence. That's hard fact in Georgia yesterday. We talked about Wisconsin and broken election laws today. We'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. We will see what happens. Um, we haven't had any more coming out of Racine in regard to this, uh, but we will definitely stand by and uh, continue to pray for the best. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for tonight's episode of the Sea Report. Uh, thank you so much for hanging in there as we went into overtime. Uh, thank you for all those who donated uh, gold pills to the show um, and uh, to, to the work that we do here. Uh, it's very much appreciated. A special Patriot 72. Thanks for gifting that cookie. Uh, special Patriot 72 says, uh, thanks, Mr. C, for drilling in on this. On this, it matters. Um, I believe I believe so. It does to myself, my friend. And thanks for being present. Um, and uh, to all of you who have been hanging out in the chat room, uh, thank you for uh, thank you for being present. Thank you for uh, gifting that energy tonight. It's much appreciated. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, don't forget, you can also check us out at the podcast, and that is over at anchor.fm slash the C report. Every time you listen to an episode of the C report, you also support uh, the show in that regard. Um, and, uh, oh, sorry, I was just reading. And, uh, and it, that also does help the efforts that we do here at, um, at, uh, Mr. CTV, the C report and, and the work that's done. All right, ladies and gentlemen, until tomorrow, we'll be back. 
No telling uh, what we will be talking about tomorrow. No telling what will be in the headlines. Uh, but, uh, but, but we'll be here. Okie dokie, guys. Uh, until tomorrow. And WC, thank you for that. 1366 gold pills coming in. Nice. Boom. Nice. Oh, 13. Oh, nice. Nice. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. And uh, I, I'll, I'll check out that number later on. But uh, in the meantime, the uh, scratch off has been released for those of you over at pill.net and the foxhole.app. And uh, to everyone else out there, uh, thank you again for um, uh, being with us here tonight. Casual GG, have a good night. Speaking easy, have a good night. Relanon, Sean Joe, Two Rivers, all of you guys is out there. We'll catch you guys a little bit later. But until then, as always, um, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We will see you tomorrow.